that um, either the if they want the exact first words to come out of my mouth in a recording <laughs> to be fuck it, but um, there we are. All right, here we are. Who's introducing? Um, Would you like me to? Uh, I can if you like, but oh, you had that really great sentence that I think you put. Uh, just the one, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the, the one you put on the Twitter bio or something. Oh, the the th- I've used as the bio. I just wrote it as right. I wrote it as an emergency sort of Twitter bio fill out, and it was um, it has evolved from watching all the goddamn <laughs> horror movies uh, in a row to Chris and Holly. Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole thing. All right then. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use this. This is the intro. Okay. Um, we may as well hit the ground running <laughs> with a kind of shambles that, as we mean to go on. Um, I believe the phrase is now. Chris and Holly gave myself top billing because I was writing it. I hope that's fine. Well, yeah. Also, also it's alphabetical. It's fine. Um, well, I'll, I'll make some sense of that. But yes, the uh, the phrase you uh, that has evolved from the Twitter is that Chris and Holly watched all the goddamn Amityville horror movies in a functionally limited but potentially endless podcast. And that is what you're listening to right now, Amityville Calamityville. I think it will calm down from now. Around 2016, as you recall, Holly... Oh, uh, yeah, they were coming out faster than we could watch them. They were. Um, uh, The main thought for that is that Blumhouse were doing um, what they called Amityville The Awakening, eventually, which we did see. It's the one with Bella Thorne? Oh, the slightly meta yes. one. Right. But also that had been announced a couple of years before and then filmed and then hung around like a bad smell. And presumably a lot of um, smaller mm. um, studios and just chances, uh, the people who realised you could put the word Amityville <laughs> into a, any old title. Yeah, let's, where... let's take advantage of all that Amityville Googling mm. and... And apparently it did work for some of them. A lot of them were like, oh, I thought this was the new like, proper Amateurville <laughs> film when they're watching like Amateurville Exorcism, <laughs> which we did watch. You may recall The Haunted Planks. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Now, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves in here. <laughs> um, why are we doing this, Holly? Why did this occur? Um, I... um, hello, listeners. <laughs> I'm Chris. That's Holly. We're the hosts of this. That's yes. all you need to know for now. Yeah. Well, a little bit of background. Um, we have been watching shitty horror movies together for, I don't know, like almost ten years? It's got to be almost ten years by now, yeah. Um, probably since I moved to London, hmm. um, which was, yeah, almost ten years ago. Oh, if you hear spooky background noise, by the way, we but just um, our, my upstairs neighbours just don't care. They, no, they no. all run about. It's ghost. Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing I should have said. Yes. Yes, be thematic. Um, yeah, so we... I think it was just because we were both unemployed at the time and so we'd hang out on Tuesdays and get pizza and watch horror movies. And P- Tuesday is always a good day for pizza because pretty much a lot of people... Pretty much a lot of people <laughs> do a two-for-Tuesday offer. And Yeah, and so we've seen a lot of horror movies and we've been through quite a few franchises yeah we can't leave them alone no we even saw all three witchboard films (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which 
Yeah, that was the I think the first time I'd heard the phrase witch board mm. uh, as a another term for spirit board or Ouija board. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you just see one. We're like, no, we have to see the rest of them. And unfortunately, with the Amityville films, after we watched the first one, we found out that there was like a billion of them and they just increase exponentially every day. Yeah, they do, as a series, it does start relatively officially. Certainly the first, uh, well, from the second one we get into Dino De Laurentiis land, but like, uh, like, there is some, that you feel like there's someone somewhere in charge of it as a series. Yes. But... As as we may have as we've already pointed out, at some point someone works out that you can just put the word Amityville into your title and make a make a cheap horror film, and you can get you can get surprising amount of reach just by doing that, as long as you don't mind piggybacking off six murders. Yeah, yeah, Act and a murders. lot of people don't mind doing that. Nope. Uh, so. You had you you answered a tweet. It was like if you had a podcast, yeah. what would it be? Yeah, no, right? it was like what is the super niche yes. topic that you could like do a whole podcast about? And I think just because we'd, we'd been watching them at the time, mm-hmm. I was like the Amityville horror films, um, and I would call it something like you said oh, calamityville horror and calamityville i immediately horror. remembered it as amityville calamityville <laughs> uh so I, I was wrong but that's how we've ended up with this but i think appropriately calamitous calamitous title mm-hmm. and a amitous title yes not to be confused with an amicus title uh an old british horror movie <laughs> franchise possibly like the beast must die i'll shut up Um, There's going to be a lot of that. That's why I've done notes. I've got a synopsis Mm. for this one. Um, Yeah, so, wait, at the time of recording, how many Amityville films are there? I think, and some people debate whether you should include things like My Amityville Horror, the Daniel Lutz uh, documentary, and there might be some completely under-the-radar ones, but the number, I will say, at the moment is 23. Right. But if you put the word Amityville into IMDb, you'll see other things in um, in consideration coming up, like Amityville Vibrator, <laughs> which is presumably a horror comedy short. But it's there; it's got a listing. Amityville Cop, I figured, was never going to happen, but it's got a cast list now, so. Um, Ooh. It's looking like there might be Amityville Cop. I think it's something like the the Witches of Amityville High or something like that upcoming. It, the, it, that is not the accurate title, mm. but it's along those lines. Oh, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, it's just because Amityville is just a town mm. or like a village in. I don't know the the I specifics. In Long Island. In Babylon, in Long Island. I think, oh God! I, I googled it in the county of Suffolk. That's madness. Maybe. Um, Odd to have a Suffolk so north. Well, it's sort of it's the, the southern end of that, that's true. It the is state. the south shore. There. Who goddamn knows? Uh, yeah, but it's just a place, mm. so there there can't be a sort of intellectual property thing about using the word Amityville in your movie titles, and so anyone can do it. And a lot of anybody's have. 
Some people have done it uh, more than once. Mark Polona, the, the Amityville Death House and Amityville Exorcism. Ah, yes. Those are from the same creative genius. Amityville Legacy has itself got its own actual sequel. Uh, I don't know if Papa John's are catering the sequel. <laughs> we, we'll have to find out when we watch the presumably also incredibly slow motion end credits. Yeah, please note, we do sit through the whole end credits. Um, which can be painful when it's ten minutes long. Yeah, those were eight minutes of a 65-minute long movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, I know we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because we are here to talk about the original alleged classic, The Amateurville Horror. Um, it will come up, but we aren't here to talk about necessarily the accuracy of the story of The Amateurville Horror, mm-hmm. or we might delve into books, but we didn't have a chance to do that here because... Uh, we kind of surprised ourselves with <laughs> with this podcast in that it's been an amorphous idea for about a year and then it's been yeah. a distinct reality for about three weeks only <laughs> and we've been falling over ourselves trying to get hosting thanks to our, our lovely Canadian friend Illyrio uh, formerly mentioned I may have edited that, that out Illyrio is a man I do a press gang podcast with that's on a three year hiatus currently but um, there's <laughs> going to be another episode out soon because hey. I'm, I'm going to be editing that as well and he is a man with a uh, I think apparently infinite web space available to him so we've, we've got a folder in that oh, so thank you very much Illyrio thank you um, so anyway yes we're not I was going to say we're not here to talk about the um, the the veracity of the story, but we are here. <laughs> Let's be honest with ourselves. We're going to end up talking about that. Yeah. But as a general rule, we're here to talk about these as films and how whether they're successful or not is my opinion. You may have a different opinion because it's just as much your show. <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think so because. Uh... I mean, yeah, it's sort of difficult before you get into the, like, was it a hoax entirely, or... <laughs> was George Lutz into occultism, or is that just some nonsense that people were always saying about people at the time? Yeah. Was, oh, he's a, he's, a, yeah, he's a devil worshipper, you know. Some, some early satanic panic. Could be. Mm. He's a very sort of vanilla-looking Satanist, but, like, <laughs> you know, it's always the quiet ones, you got to... Or, or, also, believe it or not, it's not necessarily my intention to smear real people, alive or dead, or indeed possible confidence tricksters, depending on who you talk to. Mm. But that might happen as well. Yes. Uh, that's uh, the sort of difficulty when you're dealing with something that is partially based on real events, mm. although uh, dramatised for the screen. Um, mm. But yes, some of these people did actually exist, and may have experienced carbon monoxide poisoning or something <laughs> similar. Um, or oh, ghosts. Or ghosts. Or a big pig demon. Yeah, maybe one of those. Uh, um, but, I mean, certainly... Uh, before that, what definitely happened was yeah. that uh, Ron, Ron DeFeo Jr., uh, shot and killed his whole family. Yeah, both in, parents and four siblings. Yeah, in that house at 112 yep. Ocean Avenue. Ocean Avenue. Uh, I might end up saying Ocean Drive by mistake, but that's a Lighthouse that's family a lighthouse song. Lighthouse family, yeah. Uh, if that happens, <laughs> please tell me. <laughs> uh, and I'll try and correct it. And just hope that we don't get lifted stuck in. Uh, yeah, let's oh. let's not. Um, I apparently they've changed the house has like somehow officially changed its address. I don't know how because obviously it's still 
at that place on the road, but it's obviously meant to deter people from yeah. going and rubbernecking at it, and they change the the most iconic aspect of the house, which are the the quarter light, what they call the the eye windows, the evil eye windows. Um, but that hasn't really helped because if you put 112 Ocean Avenue into Google Maps, it'll take you straight to that goddamn house. Yeah. So who or if, knows? Or if you look for like 100 and like 10. Yeah. And then you just look for the house next to it. Or... Also true. I doubt they changed the address of the entire mm. row of houses. So I don't know. Well, my computer just went beep for no reason, which I guess must mean ghosts. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So um, the, I have a lot of thoughts about the road in reality and the house, but like we're going to be talking about that in a second as it comes round. So are you good to go through this? What I've done is I've got a really dry synopsis of things that happen in the film, and I'm going to do my best to take the piss out of them as I go through, and I want you to interrupt me as frequently as you see fit. Excellent. All right. Um, so this is the Amateur of Horror from 1979. The director is Stuart Rosenberg. I hadn't heard of Stuart Rosenberg. It turns out he directed Cool Hand Luke, <laughs> which is well-known Steve McQueen prison film. Oh, yes. You may recall uh, what we got here is a failure to communicate from the start of Guns N' Roses' Civil War. I, a, I know that line. Yeah, that's a lift from ah. that movie. Uh, he also directed Voyage of the Damned. Now, people who have followed me from another podcast might think, oh yes, Voyage of the Damned, the Doctor Who Christmas special, <laughs> the one with Kylie Minogue. Uh, it's not that. There's a Frasier episode also called Voyage of the Damned. But this Voyage of the Damned is the true story of the MS St. Louis, which is a ship full of Jewish refugees escaping uh, escaping Nazi rule, uh, oh, who refused entry to Cuba uh, and the US. And... A lot of people think that it, the whole thing was actually a kind of Nazi propaganda uh, plot, and that they were never going to be allowed into Cuba, and it would be the world would see that these people didn't take in these Jewish refugees, so they couldn't say that anything that happened to them in Germany was a bad thing, oh, like right. whatever happened. Um, I think eventually some did get into Cuba. A lot of the, a lot of them ended up in the UK. And the remaining ones went back to mainland Europe. And the ones who went back to mainland Europe were deported back to Germany. And you know what Ooh, happened next. Yeah. Uh, they they didn't make it. And what I'm saying is, don't call your Doctor Who special or your Fraser episode Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think when you're titling any sort of media thing, really just Google that shit first. Yeah. And check that it, you know, doesn't have some kind of horrific... Nazi connections. Good. Well, the thing is, though, obviously, the film was well known, so uh, particularly the Frasier episode, I feel, is almost probably a reference to it. Oh, right. Um, whether the Doctor Who one is or not, I don't know, because Voyage of the Damned is a very Doctor Who esque title, mm. anyway. And it's always great fun because a lot of Doctor Who forums will, when they're talking about adventures, will just refer to them by initials, which is great when it's VOTD, because is it Voyage of the Damned? Is it Victory of the Daleks? I am going to clue. <laughs> you have to get it all from um, con uh, context clues. The stars are the incredibly attractive James Brolin. <laughs> uh, I'm a straight man, and Margot Kidder's in this film, but James Brolin is the goddamn looker in this, is he not? That, that hair is just majestic. Mm. Uh, he's like, um, sort of like, a more attractive Michael Landon, and the beard really helps. You remember Michael Landon from Highway to Heaven? 
Um, drawing a blank. Fair enough. Um, uh, James Rowland was in the Westworld movie, the original one, and he's in Capricorn One, the story of a fake uh, space mission. <laughs> uh, I mostly know him from The Car, a film about an evil car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in which There's he... a surprising number of those. <laughs> That's true. This is one of the earlier ones. Um, it's great. Mm. It's really good. They take the whole thing deadly seriously, and it makes oh, it yeah. so much more entertaining. Uh, and also, uh, he's got two daughters in that who are played by young girls who were both in separate John Carpenter films. <laughs> and later went on to be in the uh, Real Housewives of <laughs> Beverly Hills uh, Kim Richards and Carl Richards. Uh, Carl Richards is Lindsay Wallace in Halloween, and is going to be Lindsay Wallace again in Halloween uh, Kills. Oh, coming up soon. Excellent. Alongside Anthony Michael Hall as uh, Tommy Doyle. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, I know he didn't play him originally. Uh, and Kim Richards is the other one who was gunned down by next to an ice cream van at the start of. Assault in Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. One of them's a slightly better actor than the other. At least they were when they were young, but also one was 10 and one was 8. So the older one was slightly better. Mm. But what can you say? That's the car. Margot Kidder is, of course, Lois Lane from the Richard Donner Superman films. Even the one that she's barely in, she is in. <laughs> that's Superman 3. Yeah, that's, I think, the only place I know her from. That's where the, the love interest in that one is uh, an O'Toole's Lana Lang, because Superman's love interests all have to have the double L <laughs> initials. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's Lois Lane and Lana Lang. And I know, I, I'm not going to Google it on this, but I know for a fact there's another one. I think she's like one of, the Aqu one of Aquaman's species. I can't remember. Never mind. Maybe uh, I know this. She would. <laughs> She's not on this damn podcast. <laughs> um, Sisters, the Brian De Palma film. Uh, she used to go out with Brian De Palma back in the day. Margot Kidder. Oh. They were they were a thing for a bit. So she's in one of his early thrillers. Um, she's in uh, Black Christmas, which makes this her second Christmas horror movie. Because rejoice, dullards on the internet. This is your new favourite Christmas movie. Not like one of those <laughs> stupid ones that. But young girls like like Frozen. Frozen's not even a Christmas movie. It happens in July. No. <laughs> to which I say, fuck you. <laughs> also, Santa Claus the movie mostly takes place on March 25th. <laughs> which is true. Um, oh, and she's in Lordy Upon Lordy, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. In, in which she's uh, Laurie Strode's like psychotherapist, oh. one of the later ones. I've just actually just clearly forgotten about a lot of these. <laughs> um, oh, it's a, forgetting about Rob Zombie's Halloween Two is, a, is a, <laughs> an incredibly wise move. And I always say that, but I've watched it several times, and I have a weirdly grudging respect for it, despite <laughs> it being utter shit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, we have got an explicit tag. <laughs> Normally, at the start of a podcast, I verbally state that there might be swearing. I forgot. <laughs> Never mind. And there's there some might, other famous people. There might people. be some language here. There might be. English. <laughs> uh, the, finishing out the famous people of Rod Steiger, who's given the fucking performance of his life in this thing. Far more than the film deserves. He's yeah. in On the Waterfront. He played Al Capone in a film called Al Capone. 
He's in one of my favourite... I, I haven't seen the film, but one of my favouritely titled Spaghetti Westerns. I think it actually is a Zapata Western, they call it. It's a Sergio Leone film, and it's called Duck, You Sucker! <laughs> um, it's actually... This, have you ever heard of Leone's oh, wait, yes. Once Upon a Time trilogy? I was just looking at uh, Rod Steiger's filmography, and I clearly read it with the comma in the wrong place. Duck, you... Sucker, it's like God yeah. speed you back, Emperor. Yeah, that's how I read it, and like a sort of like a fuck you, sucker. Ah. But like, no, God, it's like get to... get down, right? <laughs> Good duck, you sucker. Oh, got, right. Has it got an exclamation mark? Oh, I haven't written one, so who knows? I think it's because he was also Mars Attacks, which has got an exclamation mark. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Leone's Once Upon a Time trilogy, Once Upon a Time in somewhere. God, uh, America is the last one, and the first one. I've completely forgotten the incredibly famous film, The West. I've got, <laughs> I've got the goddamn film. I was looking over your shoulder. There we can spot it. And then the middle one is Duck You Sucker, for some reason. Uh, I was once on a podcast where someone claimed that film was directed by Sergio Corbucci, and that man was wrong. It was Sergio Leone, the other more famous Sergio. He was just trying to be cool. Um... And I wrote down that he was in The Kindred. Well, I've never seen The Kindred. It's got some kind of tentacle baby thing in it. I can't remember. Ooh. Anyway, the screenwriter of this film... This is going to be the whole podcast, so get ready for this. <laughs> Sand or Stern. Which does sound like a choice. Sand or Stern? Um, uh, sand, please. Thank you. Um, Jay Anson wrote a screenplay for the thi- for, uh, from his own book. Yeah, and they decided it was kind of balls. Yes, <laughs> it was rejected. <laughs> Um, bear in mind, uh, I don't know if we'll have another chance to bring it up, but the book was based not on meetings with the Lutzes at all, but on like 59 tapes or so that they made, uh, which he then turned into a dra- And the book is written as a as a novel, as a dramatic novel. It's got thought processes and things in yeah. like that, which I'm never keen on on a, yeah, I mean, a true I've story. Yeah, I mean, I've read some true crime like that, and it's just really thrown me. It's like... When you know they're kind of embroidering it, yeah, um, yeah, with like kind of, I want to say characters' mm. inner thoughts, but it's like the people's inner thoughts. You think, well, that has to clearly be invented by the writer. Yes. How much of it are you inventing then? And yeah, to me, it just is a style that really doesn't work for personal crime. So um, yeah, continuing to call this based on the true story specifically not a true story based on the true story mm. because it was it was famous at this point in the book uh, but it's uh, it's a uh, i just uh, the the name of the game is is old and racist now i think some people call it telephone instead and not the uh, thing where you you pass information from oh. one person to another in a whisper of some yes. description yeah. and the information changes um so I'll try not to say the old school name of that game. Telephone is a perfectly mm. reasonable thing, where these tapes have become Anson's novel, have become the film from someone else. And as you saw at the end, this is spoke that characters and events have changed to heightened dramatic tension or something like that. Yes, I wrote it down. We'll get to it at the end. Sandor Stern, I don't know a huge amount about, other than that he sort of immediately dropped in when he moved to LA, like writing episodic TV things like The Mod Squad. And um, Ironside, and that he did write and direct, I believe, uh, a film called Pin, which is weird. Pin, 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 uh, which I may have watched with you. No, but it's got 
kind of... His name rhymes with pin. Uh, we might be thinking of different people. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, the guy who was rodding key in, in Stargate Atlantis. Okay, uh, I think you might be right. Anyway, Pin, uh, the person I was thinking of is Terry O'Quinn. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, he plays a doctor who teaches his two young children about sort of bodily autonomy and sexual business, but like using an anatomically correct dummy that he ventriloquizes. <laughs> That's possibly not a correct word. So that he it, that it doesn't, so it's not awkward mm. for him. But like, it turns out he doesn't even realise one of his one of his children just believes that Pin the dummy is alive and starts like uh, obsessing over him. The dummy is voiced, by the way, by Jonathan Banks, who's Mike Ehrmantraut in Breaking Bad, <laughs> and it also features in a small role my main dude and not famous enough man, John Piper Ferguson. Hey! I think he's just in it as John Ferguson. Johnny Pipes. Is John Piper Ferguson in the Amazon movie? No. No, he's not. Which is a dang shame. <laughs> I was thinking about the kids in this, because they changed the names of them. One of them, in reality, was a Christopher. I was like, so, we get a Chris in this. Is there a Holly at any point in the Amityville things? I mean, probably. Like, one usually shows up pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, especially if it's written by Vince Gilligan, because he will put a Holly in most things. Oh, and I nearly forgot about the Academy Award-nominated score by four oh. people. Lalo Schifrin. Lalo Schifrin. that name ring any bells with you? Um, yes, it did. Uh, and then I went to just sort of like check and say like what scores have you done and you've, he's done like millions of precisely them. yeah so <laughs> i think the easiest thing to say at this point is mission impossible yeah uh, might be the most famous thing he's ever done uh, he wrote the other bit from mission impossible the the mission theme which i won't hum into the microphone but you'd know it if you heard it mm -hmm. and in fact the modern movies retain that because michael giacchino was like no i'm getting i'm putting that in there <laughs> the the like the planning music mm -hmm. um Oh, and he also did the music for Cool Hand Luke and Voyage of the Damned. So, so he's, uh, Rosenberg brought him on. Um, he did Bullet. He did Enter the Dragon. He did Dirty Harry. He did the Four Musketeers. He's a rare move of someone working on the Four Musketeers who didn't work on the Three Musketeers. Because I don't know if that's the... You know that's the movie that um, uh, Alexander and Ilya Salkind made a big musketeer epic and then, without telling anyone involved with it, split it into two films, but paid everyone for one. Oh. And they didn't know until they were at the premiere. <laughs> and the film ended, and they showed a trailer for the next one that they were in. Oh. Uh, and now there is, a, in in entertainment law, the, there is a thing called the Salkind Clause, <laughs> where you absolutely have to um, tell people in advance how many movies you're making. Uh, Salkins, by and the so way. So people were like, Peter Jackson, how many? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's true, because that was going to be two films and then became three, but I think that happened earlier in the planning stages. Mm. And it makes more sense, frankly. The Hobbit now doesn't need to be three films, but never mind, that's a different <laughs> argument. Uh -oh. um, I was going to say that the Salkins also produced Santa Claus the movie. But that's all. Because I mentioned it earlier. And because Salkind Claws sounds a bit like Santa Claus. <laughs> if you can't hear very well. <laughs> Let's get into the old synopsis of the film. It starts off as produced by Samuel Z. Arkoff. Which I can only see as Samuel Zarkov. Zarkov. 
Um, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah, one of the space swears is Zark and Zark off. And I do wonder if, like, that just came to Douglas Adams when he was watching a film and saw Zark. Like, other people have surely seen that as Zark off over the years. Mm-hmm. Can't be the thing. Anyway, um, yes. Wasn't there a, a, a Zarkov in Flash Garden? No. No? Or is it? Um, there's a Hans Zarkov. Yes, you're right. Um, I'm thinking of um, the the Flesh Garden parody. <laughs> I can imagine what that is. Yes, and the first name is Flexi, I believe. Flexi Jerkoff. <laughs> um... I think I called it a porn parody. It's not. It's kind of just a bawdy, soft core thing. I don't think. I don't think there's much rude, actually rude about it. Say that. I haven't seen it. That's our next. That's the, <laughs> is that the next podcast. Just bad raunch. Let's get through this one first. The potentially endless goddamn podcast. Um, should I mention that we're not planning on this to be weekly at all? Oh, this God, is monthly no. at best. Yeah. Um, so we've got like two years worth of stuff without anything else um, this is where Schifrin's uh, Creepy Kids starts singing yeah yeah the film starts off with uh, no, no. a shot of the house looking very evil yeah um, it you know it kind of sets that out very quickly it's just like here's this evil motherfucking looking skull faced house like, thing yeah the and from the certainly from the side, the house looked like that. I mean, they, the side, the face of the street hasn't got the. There's a chimney on both sides mm. in the movie, but not in reality. But yeah, it's it just does a face. It's brilliant. It's it's a pure, you know, um, what's the word? It's just a pure reality of what was in of what the house was like. Mm-hmm. But it's just a really nice bit of kind of spooky pareidolia. Yes. And um, by the way, we're beautifully recreated by you in our artwork. Yeah, oh, thank you. We might as well put it out. You do the artwork, I do the music. Yes. Together we meet in the middle with our, you know, our various art forms that the other one can't do so well. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. We, so it's raining. We get, and then they start. The windows start illuminating with muzzle flashes and loud gunshot noises and things like that it's pissing down because it's November 17th and Ron DeFeo is murdering his family and uh, yeah I mean we've already discussed it as the elephant in the room that everything in this series is built on the back of these extremely real no, no contention whatsoever murders yeah that genuinely happened yeah I mean the the only question really is the motive mm. and you know it's it's ranged from essentially the devil made me do it type mm. of argument to uh, claims that the parents were abusive yeah but it's his uh, story's changed loads of times and that like his sister yeah. Dawn killed some of them and then he killed Dawn or his mother killed some of the mm. kids and then he <laughs> killed her um, or indeed yes that there were voices or he heard either otherworldly voices or he heard the voices of the family themselves plotting against him it's it's not consistent at all uh, and speaking of things that are inconsistent in the movie the police kind of attend that night and that is not how it went oh, he okay. um he did the he he did the various deeds and like between then and work time he had a bath he changed clothes he hid like he hid the gun and things like that and blood stuff and uh, yeah he just went to work 
oh. at the usual time. And then like that evening, he went to um, he went to a local bar and said, oh, you've you got to come and help me. It looks like my parents have been shot. And everyone went to the house and people phoned the police there and they picked him up. And he tried to... Um, I mean, I, I think when I, just, I had a weird moment where I felt bad because every time I said DeFeo family, whenever I say an Italian surname and then family, I think of the mafia. And I'm like, mm. you knob, you xenophobic knob. But um, apparently they were actually related to some crime families. Oh. Uh, so one of the DeFeo's claims was that there was a professional mafia hitman involved and things but um, the police spot his inconsistencies and they arrested him and they confessed I believe at that point his defence team went heavily on the insanity mm. defence um, I think it's he's still in prison for this he is still in prison from that day to this and he's married three times oh jeez <laughs> um, so mean, I like some really weird stuff but mm. I absolutely cannot get my head around this kind of serial killer groupies thing. Mm. That's weird. I, it is unusual. I, I mean, I like a fictional psychopath. Yes. But a real one, not so much. Not so keen. No. Um, the one thing I do like about this is that when you find out this fact and you go to um, like the Facebook group of uh, radio shows that have interviewed, say, Ronald DeFeo's third wife, mm-hmm. you get very annoyed men in the comments. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I do, I work hard and stuff. And <laughs> why is this monster getting getting hot chicks and stuff? No. It is kind of worth it <laughs> for those meltdowns. Well, I can say that because I've been married for like twelve years. I'm very, I'm very sort of comfortable. Maybe I would be a much bitterer person had I not been. But never mind. Um, so yeah, that's where that's where the defo- the voice things come in, um, and like I don't know if it it was part of the situation that he was a habitual LSD user and had a heroin not a heroin addiction as far as I know, but he mm. had one. He also claimed that he didn't live in the house that he was married and he had a kid with some woman somewhere else. I don't think there's ever been any evidence of that. The three marriages I'm talking about are all absolutely since yeah. these murders. So I don't know. Um, but he was ruled... Uh, he was diagnosed with social personality disorder. He was ruled uh, fully in control of his actions. And sentenced uh, 25 to life. And yeah, so often people resurface with concepts of like a second shooter in the house. Mm. And like, hey, how was he able to do this? And neighbours didn't hear anything and things like that. Because there wasn't this big loud storm that the movie <laughs> does. But I don't know, like, if you take... If you take... Right... I'm going to be grim for a second, right? If you take the parents out first, the rest you've got is like, yeah, yeah, okay, his sister was 18, but they got progressively younger from there. Uh, Kids are far more likely at night to just stay in bed and Mm -hmm. pull the covers up and stay there and be scared, right? That, to me... Those... Certainly in that area, the big houses, they've got big... uh, I was going to say tracts of land! Huge tracts of land. But... I mean, the properties are large, so yeah, your neighbours aren't going to hear much. That's true. Uh, they are the neighbouring houses are much nearer by than it appears in the movie uh-huh. because of the movie's a different house. I'm going to get yeah. around to that, but never mind. Um, I do wonder if a ge- like a genuine movie just about those DeFeo killings that drops any pretense at a supernatural business could be interesting and sort of grisly and stuff. But I don't know if there's enough sort of. Mm. lead up to it you're not going to get you would have to invent stuff anyway yeah. about his 
his potential motives or things, so I don't think it's going to work. Um, but in, in the movie, yeah, police show up. There's a schlubby detective with a, a convenient uh, cigar that you... Yes, convenient cigar because uh, some of us have trouble with faces, a little bit of uh, mild face blindness or prosopagnosia, mm. um, which mostly causes issues uh, starting new jobs and watching movies. Um, I have watched many movies and been really confused at the end when it turns out what I thought were like was just one person was actually two, two people. Two different characters. The uh, uh, Total Recall remake is yeah, a particular there was, theme for uh, There was some Italian thing we were watching. Blade um, in the Dark? Uh, no, I remember that one because that had like surprise Iron Maiden on the soundtrack. Oh, was, was that not Phenomena? Or, oh, um, oh, maybe it was. Oh, God. Um, but there was, there was no. I think. Oh, uh, I think it might I'm have derailing been our own podcast. Tenebrae. Oh, the one with the the writer. He wrote the book. That's Tenebrae. Right, that's Tenebrae. I think there are two blonde female characters in that. I thought there was just one, so <laughs> it was really weird when uh, one was killed near the end, and then the other one shows up, and I'm like, aren't you dead? Like, no, it's a completely different person. It's just a continuity error. Yeah. Um, so I can have issues with, like, yeah, and also in uh, Saw 3 and 4, I think, mm. um, the cop and the FBI agent... I couldn't tell them apart for quite some time, <laughs> right? Which causes immense trouble. Oh, I I know the two you mean. Yeah, and I I, I, can... I didn't have that issue, but I can see how that would happen. Particularly yeah, since one is chasing the other. Frankly, yeah. spoilers for uh, <laughs> Saw Three. One of those two people is not that nice a guy. You know, I'm a great champion of diversity in Hollywood, mm. even if it's just. For that totally selfish reason of, like, <laughs> if you have more people that look different, I can tell them apart. <laughs> I mean, it's a, wise, it's a wise move anyway. There's a problem late, later on in this very film about a character who supposedly looks like a different character. Oh, yeah. And they, they play with that in such a bizarre way that it must have made the movie confusing for some people. Uh, never yeah, mind. but uh, yeah, this uh, this detective, uh, the sergeant, uh, he has a cigar. <laughs> oh yeah, the reason I mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, that he just starts smoking at a crime scene because it was the mid seventies and you could do that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's everyone loved a Columbo yeah, sort of scenario. But it's a nice little kind of character marker that when he turns up again later, not wearing his hat, mm. uh, which is the sort of thing that, again, would work as a character marker for me. So I can go, oh, it's the guy in that hat. Um, but no, he was just the guy with the cigar this time. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy the coroner shows up. Coroner is James Tolkien. He's Principal Strickland <laughs> from um, Back to the Future. And uh, he's also a cop in the uh, Masters of the Universe movie. But oh, he's kind man. of Strickland in that as well. It's very strange. Um, you might wonder, geez, did that guy ever have hair? He didn't in 1979, <laughs> but that was only six years prior to um, Back to the Future. Anyway, so who knows? This um, weird... I won't say lovely, but a nice atmospheric moment again from within the coroner car where they close the door and it shuts all the chaos sounds out yes and just leaves you with silence and then Schifrin's score yeah starts up again gently there's some 
very nice sound editing work in it. This um, film is a cornucopia of very nice and very weirdly chosen amateurish bits. Yes. Such a strange... It's. I mean, I don't know anything about the process of making it, but mm. at times it does feel like someone made a film and then someone else came along, along and like, can I put this in here? Yeah. And can I just slide this in? We'll edit that bit to just be weird and inexplicable. Uh, I can't remember where this phrase came from, but I did hear it once and I like it. It was edited with dick scissors. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Are there scissors for dicks or scissors made of dicks? Please imagine the the scenario you prefer oh, okay. the most yeah. out of those. Uh, not through any kind of penile terror of my own, <laughs> just because I don't I don't want to tell you how to think. <laughs> um, so anyway, th- th- about thirteen months pass, and we see uh, George and Kathy Lutz, uh, or you know, a very attractive Hollywood version of yes. George and Kathy Lutz. At least, it's it's very sympathetic in bo- on both counts. Mm-hmm. Um, looking appreciably at a boathouse. Uh, um, the house the house is called High Hopes. It never comes up in the thing, but in old shots of it out the front. Oh, and you do the... see it in the 2005 remake. Yeah, there's, there's a swinging sign that says High Hopes. And I think maybe someone named uh, one of the amateur documentaries High Hopes as well. There are plenty of documentaries about the thing of of increasing or differing quality as well just the yeah. same way as loads of books there's loads of goddamn everything uh, yeah loads of books which is um, why we, we tend to be concentrating mostly on the fil- films yeah. also as we get um, on in, later in the films these uh, synopses are going to get a little bit more sparse and the tearing into the films are going to get a little more just feel like some weird shit happens um, mm. but yeah there's loads of uh, books that are sort of like bits that are claimed to be based on actual events and then like fictionalized sequels and then totally fiction stuff and there's there's even one that's like an Amityville Christmas <laughs> oh yeah I remember you telling me about that I was going to say was that one of the ones from particular author name I won't say that in case it's wrong um it's John G. Jones yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> fine it's one of his so anyway um, this house is bizarrely remote looking uh, in a way that like in some shots of the film you can actually see neighbouring houses but the way they shoot it initially it does just look like it's at the edge of a big old mm. lake by itself in much the same way that the actual 112 Ocean Avenue is not hello listeners it's Chris from the future uh, in a minute on the podcast I'm going to refer to a place called Tom's Lake New Jersey there's no place called Tom's Lake, New Jersey. There is, however, Tom's River, New Jersey. And that is the place I mean. Edited in, in your mind. Uh, that one is next to a body of water. This house, uh, I have written it later, but I'll say it now, is in Tom's Lake, New Jersey. And the original house is very similar to the Amityville house, but has got like a sloped roof and things like that. And what they did was basically build a hat. <laughs> a hat for the house... And I think maybe some side walls, like a superstructure, and just like popped it over the top of it to turn it into the other house, which is great. Except that once you know that, for much you of the film, you just can see you, the original roof through the windows. Yeah, you can see the sloping roof through the evil eye windows. Uh, it's 
it, it adds a, it adds a layer of fun. And I did think the what I I, I think it's a bit out where I think of a out the back as more of a lake, a big lake than a river. But it's called Tom's River. It is a river. Mm. Uh, the the Tom's River is bigger than the actual river out the back of Ocean Avenue, which is more of a kind of canal scenario. But it is there. Uh, later on, they they use this same house, by the way, in Amityville 2 and 3, which we'll get to. And the house itself has been moved <laughs> to, like, be more in more in a neighbourhood. There is a, there's an address for that as well, but I won't say where that is. Uh, and I think that, another, like, yet another house now stands in the slightly more remote spot where the previous house was. Very confusing. Uh, that house has also been up for grabs because everything on the internet is confusing when you try and look up stuff about mm. that house. Sometimes they'll put up pictures of the genuine house at 112 Ocean Drive. Yeah. I said Ocean Drive. There hey. it is. It happened. I lifted myself out of the podcast. No. <laughs> you, made, you made the joke. I know two Lighthouse Family song titles. Those are them. Um, yep. Ocean Avenue. Um, so there's confusion all around. Um... They were talking about how there was. Like, I've read an account from someone who was there when they were doing the filming, and apparently, like the the community loved it, and like they uh, they got crane shots by using the uh, the ladder on a, a fire engine from a fire truck. <laughs> the car people around the the fire truck did rain effects and things like that as mm-hmm. well, and apparently now it's got some of the strictest film ordinances in New Jersey like they made they made these three films in the area and then it went no we're not doing that anymore so something really put them off mm-hmm. um, by the way yes we don't have a studio we just have my living room so there will be sounds like that siren flying by just think of it as ambience this realtor she uh, she's big she's not big big but she's very enthusiastic Oh yeah, when she's showing them around, it's um, when she shows them into a particular room. It's interspersed with uh, <laughs> yeah, the house starts having flashbacks. Yeah, with with shots from from before of um, the murder that happened in that room. Uh, yeah, it's like that you saw thirty seconds yeah, earlier in I the just, film. Just in case you've forgotten, I, I think it was like a, a little unnecessary for that and kind of heavy-handed because we had literally just seen those happen, um, and it leads to the really weird edit where going with the going up the stairs and the mid word yeah and it's just freeze framed yeah like a the, comedy trailer the, yeah with the gunshot noise and it's just a really bizarre bit of editing there yeah is it it's like they didn't want to yeah, interrupt the next scene but they wanted to make sure they got this particular number of like house flashbacks into it yeah i don't know um the realtor keeps talking about the you know, you won't find another house like it at this price. Mm. And Kathy's all that. So at this point, and you hear stories like this, and obviously this wouldn't happen in reality either, where people don't actually know of uh, the recent murder that mm. occurred in the place. Like they are aware of it. They know that that's the situation that will find it. I've, I've gone off my notes. This is why. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. The, the the line is, is that houses don't have memory. Yes. And it's like. In in reality, yes, we agree with that. Um, but in you know suspension of d- disbelief, mm. movie land, they're like, oh, that's going to come back to bite you in the bum. It sure is. Um, there's the room I later come to know as the fly room, which I, I don't know why she just says this is an extra room. 
and I don't know what she means. Like, it's, like, it's not meant to be there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's odd. Like, we it's didn't like, tell well, you about it. This one wasn't in the blueprints. Um, I, I suppose it just means one. it's not a bedroom as such. It's an upstairs room that isn't a bedroom no. or a bathroom. It's but just another room. But it's, It could be a bedroom. Yes. If you put a bed in it's it. It's a bedroom for flies. It's a <laughs> and I think they do put a bed in it at some point. Up against... Uh, Maybe leaning up because there's bed frames all over the place <laughs> in this movie, so it's difficult. They um, uh, oh. the the uh, price of the the house that yeah. they're a little unsure about because it's a lot of money mm. and money's a little tight for them. Uh, it was eighty thousand dollars. It was. Did you get the same figure I did? For uh, inflationary. Oh, oh, I haven't. Uh, Okay, it's the equivalent of $382,000. Oh, right. Which is still not bad. Yeah. Uh, George values the house uh, easily $120,000, which um, is still like $572,000 to $3,000 now. Uh, Whereas the actual house is now $850,000 a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was um, on sale in 2016 for $850,000. Um, but that was actually quite a big drop from what the owner mm. who was selling it had paid for it. It was um, well over 900000 before. So, uh, I mean, houses in that area, particularly so many bedrooms mm. and, like, yeah, lakeshore properties and so on. Uh, I, a million is... Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if, like... You know, there's been the whole thing where the families that have lived there since the Lutzes were like, no, nothing weird has ever happened. Uh, but maybe that reputation is still with the place and you can't get a decent asking price? Is yeah. it just a, a housing price slump thing? Because I don't know. Mm. Housing price slump might be quite nice for some people. <laughs> people trying to get houses. Mm-hmm. For one thing. Getting rid of houses, that's a different matter. Um, so... Yeah. But I mean, these days there's that thing where it's like mandatory to include in any uh, kind of like bump about sale house houses on the market. Mm. You have to say basically if there have been any murders and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, like I suppose the most recent one in the UK. I think we're was, thinking the same um, thing. What's name in Muswell Hill? Why have I forgotten the name of um, the, the very famous murderer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. Um, the one who Dennis Nielsen. Dennis Nielsen, who murdered people and like, did he eat them? I think or... there was some eating, but there was some dissolving in a bath. Yeah, and he sort of like blocked the pipes. Yeah, and so on. Um, because uh, it wasn't it wasn't the most. Um... I mean, like old London plumbing, really. Yeah. <laughs> And also, yeah, it wasn't the most, I'm losing my word, but comprehensive uh, dissolution Mm. of these bodies. And I seem to recall, yes, the the ad simply said, like, like, interested parties are strongly advised to to research the history of this property. So I guess it's like, like, we don't have to tell you about it, but we have to tell you there's something to know. Yeah. Right, so next scene, once they've decided to buy, we're moving in. Yes, it is great. They, they is it t- like one month later? Possibly. I think the the little subtitle. Oh yeah, says. I, 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 said, I think I said 
13 months after the thing, but it would have been but literally a year later from the DeFeo stuff is in November. Mm-hmm. So then this... Yeah, um, we already know that they either moved in on December the 18th, or 19th, or 23rd, <clears throat> depending on who you ask. And indeed, whoever you ask might change their tune <laughs> as well. In that I think they say 23rd in the book, and then later the 18th. I don't know. Most sources say the 18th. So I, but I have written things in this with a, the 18th in mind. Yeah. Well, mid-December. Yeah. Uh, and this is why it's a Chris- this is why it's a Christmas yes. movie, you, you joyless fucks. <laughs> Although they don't put any Christmas decorations up. No, that's true. Uh, and they but, don't say now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. But, but maybe maybe they're the are there certain types of Catholics who don't? Or like, is it, I, don't, I know. don't think that's it. I think they're just they're, they're heavily just like... obfuscating the thing. For example, they you know, we have things that happen on the fifth day or the sixth day. The sixth day particularly, which would, depending on the date, would either be Christmas Eve mm. or Christmas Day, including by the way, a wedding. Um <laughs> And they have days of the week, which also do not correspond with the days of the week in 1975 either. So I don't think they even make it clear that it's winter. It looks more autumnal, Yeah, I think, with the foliage and so on. Although like, I think someone is surprised at the, there being that many flies at that time of year, which is the only thing to suggest it's not at least summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they they are. They do move in immediately. Um, the, the, after the realtor is just spooked by some paperwork. <laughs> spooked by some paperwork. A spooky breeze. Spooky breeze and her four shadows from the, stu- yes. <laughs> the studio lighting. But there's a lot that I didn't see at the time, but I've read it. Um, so Kathy's yeah. She's got a a shiny chunky crucifix that goes on the wall, and they all go outside. To play around, which is where uh, Renrod Steiger enters the film as Father Delaney, the man they're meant to be waiting in for, but they decide to go on a boat trip instead. Yes, yeah, so they had pre-arranged this that he would come around and bless the house, but they were like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's just get some beers and go out on the boat. Why Madness. not?" And but he just lets himself in. He lets and... himself in and decides to get a blessing. Well, mm-hmm. I guess that. Well, he follows some laughter upstairs. Um, he's in the film. He's called Father Delaney. In the book, it was Father Mancuso, and in reality, it's Father <laughs> Pecorero. Yet another name. Um, so Pecorero's role in reality is either almost exactly what you see in the film, but minus the flies. Like, oh, I heard a voice and I felt like something slapped me in the face and I got blistered hands, mm. or he went to the house and didn't experience anything that's the other possibility based on the stories he's told or that he only ever spoke to the Lutzes on the phone and never went to the house at all Uh, and his car is either a tan Ford or a red Chevrolet Vega depending on which version which printing of the book the same book you're reading Um, and he might have had an experience where the bonnet or the hood of his car flipped up while he was driving or he might not have done it also, depending on which um, which printing of the book you're reading. So, um, yeah. Uh, the house kind of laughs at him. <laughs> Just finds him hilarious. Mm. It has a giggle. But, yeah, even after he realises everyone's outside, 
Before they'd gone on the boat, by the way, he just yeah, went, oh, fuck he it. sees them out the window uh, and then just decides to do the blessing before going to say hello or anything like that. Yeah, well, you, you might as well get it done. Mm. But um, the, the <laughs> little did he know, he's in the fly room. In the fly room. Formerly the spider's parlour. <laughs> he really shouldn't have invited that fly in. It got out of hand. <laughs> it was a bad time. Um, it's like, oh, this, my spoiled fruit storage room. <laughs> I yeah. imagine why there's so many flies in here. Yeah, but they do just... Those flies can sort of turn on and off at <laughs> a moment's notice. God, actually, ghost flies. There'll be ghost flies, surely, if there's ghost anything. You ever, you ever, you ever had an insect buzzing around and can't see it? Ghost fly. Ghost fly. It's got to be got to be done. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to fill time on the podcast. Um, I'm also going to have to remember I'm going to have to do a proper actual edit, so I'm going to yeah. take times where I leave pauses. And... But uh, I mean, flies don't have souls, so I don't know if they can turn into ghosts. Oh. But then humans don't have souls either, and ghosts aren't <laughs> real. <laughs> I did wonder where you were going with that. <laughs> that seems an odd thing for you specifically to say. No flies go to heaven. <laughs> So yeah, um, he has a zero tolerance approach to flies because two show up immediately and he's like, eagle eye, <laughs> eagle eye action man. Uh, but uh, he carries on. Um, rather than getting out of the room, he decides to really go for that blessing. But uh, yeah, he's just, determined. He gets he gets very ill. He um, gets all sweaty. He calls for God's flies. God's peace in this house, which uh, which you... sounded like uh, lots of bees in this house. <laughs> like no father it's flies <laughs> learn to identify insects correctly <laughs> so yeah the house responds by coating him with flies and telling him it's favourite horror movie of the last five years oh us yes <laughs> it's a, it turns out it's a, it's a Jordan Peele hipster <laughs> so no us is much better than get out oh you want me to say get out that would make far more sense and it says get out uh, his whispers get out and then it f- screams get out uh, I'm not doing it yet uh, in a in a radio a love, love great bit of sound design yeah, I'm guessing it's someone they... just whispering get out yeah then... but it's like the the flies go silent yeah and and it's just but like when it the first whisper it's like he turns around to look at flies and then there's a close up of a couple of flies yeah and he's like was it you fuckers <laughs> You're the ones telling me to get out. And uh, I, I know we do have this confusion later, but obviously when he goes into the room, the door mystically closes. But when it's about to tell him to go out, get out, the door does open again. I think of other shitter horror films where he wouldn't be able to get that door open, like it happens later in, with Amy. Oh, the thing yeah. Where it's just a, you know, yeah. they'd be terrified. Well, get, let me out. But it doesn't. It's, it's consistent at this point. Yeah, the, the house knows what it wants, but it wants him to just fuck off. Yeah. And not do his priest shit. Yeah, uh, well, he, he does he does get out as as requested, and uh, once once he's out of the house, we can see that he is distinct from the real priest because he drives a light blue 1976 <laughs> Chevy Nova, which he proceeds to barf on. <laughs> yeah, he wipe right off. <laughs> now, did I intrinsically know that was a 1976 Chevy Nova? No, I went to imcdb.org, the Internet Movie Car Database. Ooh, it's I did great. not know such a thing existed. Mm, it does exist, and right at the top of the page, 
Um, it has the list of the most recent uh, movie pages that have been completed uh-huh. with cars in it. And the second place one was Mike Lee's film High Hopes. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> yes. yes. Like, when when I was um, going through watching the, the, the film, um, I've been a little bit nocturnal recently. Mm, and it was, it, was, it was one of the times when there was like the 3.15am wake up. <laughs> I paused. And I, I was just looking at my phone. It was 3.51 a.m. Uh, coincidence? Ace. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, just move some letters around. It works. I've come off of um, a Doctor Who podcast. The current uh, Doctor is, of course, played by, uh, by Jodie. Um, is that a coincidence? Yes. Uh, Jodie, of course, will feature later in the film. Um, so, yeah. Um, come that night... Daughter Amy is being real weird, falling asleep in a cardboard box and wearing an exact replica of James Brolin's shirt. <laughs> Pedants, it's not an exact replica of James Brolin's shirt, but it's very similar. So, um, Amy gets put to bed and it is important It is important that her doll sleep with her, so that, that gets mentioned. Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Raggedy Ann doll. Mmm. Um, Though smaller than Annabelle, but smaller um, and with what I think is supposed to be like darker skin. It does seem to be an attempt think, at an African American yeah, Raggedy Ann. I've I did a bit of googling and it's like oh oh gosh there's because like Raggedy Ann the stories were written a long time ago right. and uh, there's exactly the sort of you know black mammy kind of mm. character that you would expect from that era that's yes. just like oh you do not want to see the pictures um and like they did make dolls of her but i couldn't find if there were necessarily any mm. kind of dolls that like retained the raggedy ann look but yeah. just had more uh, like a sort of african-american skin tone yeah i mean as brits we can't talk because we had the oh and i don't even know if i can say the name of the goddamn doll but i will say golly yeah it had a longer name um as a fucking marmalade mascot yeah because it was one of those things where i guess they used the mascot back when most of people thought that was acceptable yeah and then it became just a traditional thing that it was and people were like well i don't see any harm in it my mother had loads of uh dolly toys and yeah statues and uh, like a, a money box and things i think well, a we, nurse we, and things like that save the the things off the, mm. the marmalade labels and yeah they were black literally black skinned dolls with big eyes and mm. red lips and things like that precisely the bad uh, stereotype you're probably thinking of even if you aren't unfamiliar with the toy yeah so this feels like the equivalent to that but it's like actually less offensive so there you go and if you are familiar with the uh, the conjuring movies and annabelle the scary doll the actual annabelle uh, is more is a genuine sort of raggedy ann mm-hmm. doll as well larger than this one but yeah uh, in in Edinburgh Warren's demonology closet <laughs> she's in the do not touch thing and it's somehow much more terrifying than the cracked porcelain evil eye doll yeah, of any, the movies any kind of like oh that let's make it look evil on purpose dolls in movies they mm. just don't work because they look stupid and it's just sort of like a too obvious thing yes if it's something that looks completely innocuous um, especially like a mass manufactured thing that you know 
you could think, well, that's some kind of weird one-off bespoke spooky doll, but then you're like, oh, that's a Raggedy Ann. There's one in the next room. Yeah. Um, like, that's scarier. Raggedy Ann is a, I she's a horror one. movie icon. Yeah. She's in John Carpenter's Halloween as well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you having it. It doesn't feel like a big thing over in the various countries of the UK. But, um, if you had one, you had one. And did it freak you out? Did it move around? Did it sit on a rocking chair? Uh, no, it sat in uh, this thing that was supposed to be like a kind of stylized little push chair that oh. um, had a. It was also like a ladybird kind of thing, and it had a bell on it, and it was really annoying because of the bell. She sat in there. I understand. Can I make a fucking shit? Scottish joke. Oh, go on. Um, like a kind of, you know, tartan coat, <laughs> shortbread style joke. Did Scottish Raggedy Ann have a boyfriend called Raggedy Angus? <laughs> I don't require a response to that. I just wanted to get it out in the air and you could all fucking judge oh. me for the English tosser I am. Father, De- Father, De- Father Delaney. <laughs> Remember him? Father Delaney phones the house. He's still wretching like a dog. <laughs> uh, you're a bit of, you're an emetophobe, I believe is the uh, phrase. How did you deal with the retching in this? Um, it wasn't actually that bad. Um, I think mostly because we there's like car doors in the way of yeah. seeing the actual vomiting. And also later on, one of them is just the most hilarious yeah. noise. And it's it's not realistic sounding retching. Yeah. It's kind of bad acting retching. Yeah. So that's fine. If he was coughing up like piles of flies, it would be a different matter. Yeah. Is that something that happens in the 2005 one? I can't remember. Let's find out in about nine episodes time. <laughs> and yeah. When you think about how many films there are, you think that one is only like nine films away. No oh God. God. Yeah, like, yeah. There's been a a lot in the past. Honestly, oh. 2016 was a ludicrous. Yeah, there was about five of them. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's retching like a sod. Can't hold on to the phone, but that's all right because the phone's decided like just to go. <laughs> anyway, the house is no platforming that man. <laughs> Restic- restricting his right to free speech. <laughs> Why you'd want to freeze a peach? Is anyone's guess? Oh, and that's where we yes. get uh, Delaney's the blistering hand. The blistering hand, which then he goes to um, uh, like wash it in the sink, and he's just there's this little picture of Jesus sellotaped to the mirror above the sink in the bathroom, which I think is lovely. And I liked I your just, uh, concept. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like does that mean that the water coming out the taps is holy water? Because um, I don't obviously know what the requirements are for something to be holy water. Um, I think taping a picture of Jesus over it is probably not going to cut Not enough, no. Um, But then it just got me into thinking about, like, what is the maximum amount of water or, like, volume Mm. that is, like, theologically acceptable to be blessed as holy water? Like, in one go? In one go. Like, a priest couldn't... Like, if there's a font or something, you can do that. Or there was that film that we watched which yeah. was Raymond Cruz as the kind of former priest in Curse of La La Llorona La, La, La yeah I, um, I'm saying it completely incorrect <laughs> where he yeah he blesses like a, an entire swimming, a swimming pool, pool. At once. I think I think without telling anyone there's a, there's a whole thing there yeah um, so it's like yeah how, 
Is that acceptable in It's Catholic? La Llorona, surely, yes? Is that what you said? Uh, I think so, yeah. Fantastic. La 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 la, Yorona! I just thought that's typical, isn't it? That you've said the thing correctly and then some bloke will then say the thing correctly and go, yes, I got it right. Great. Pay rise, please. Have you heard my excellent new idea? It's to tape a picture of Jesus over water so it comes out as holy water the whole time. I had that idea, me. The person I call myself. Uh. Yeah, but that yeah is, is there is there a maximum? Um, can we get the Vatican to rule on this? Yes, could, please, could Vatican it? mail at amateurvillecalamityville.com. <laughs> or what's the Twitter? Uh, oh. Sadly, the Twitter is at amateurvillepod. Amateurvillepod. We went through uh, what I think you can call a fuckload mm-hmm. of permutations, and it turns out a lot of people have started Twitter accounts with titles that we could have used and done nothing with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vatican, please rule. Could a priest like, bless the Pacific Ocean, for instance? And do they all touch? Because obviously the Pacific Ocean, like, touches the Atlantic Ocean yeah. and things like that. That whole too is like, one... And also because there's the water cycle. Is there a is there a half-life or a kind of time limit uh, on how long water stays blessed? Or could it could it evaporate and then come down as holy rain? Yes. Mm. Perhaps on the plains of Africa. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the song doesn't... Andrew, well, the song does specify who blesses the rains down in Africa. It's whoever's singing the song. Mm. It doesn't say who's doing that. You could say, obviously, it's the lead singer of Toto, but he might be performing in character. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, unless he's been like ordained or something that we don't know about. Oh, mate, I don't, I don't think it goes into <laughs> goes into that much detail. <laughs> what I can tell you is it's in A major. Is that <laughs> how? That's one of the few facts I'm aware of. Excellent. Because, you know, if the, yeah, if the rains in Africa are blessed and, you know, they'll just get into the Stop ecosystem. and <laughs> Hey, if homeopathy works because water has a memory, can you hear my air quotes here? A memory. Ah, that's why you, then... shouldn't, that's why you shouldn't make a house out of water, because <laughs> then the house would have a memory. Also, I'm sure a wolf could probably blow that down as well. <laughs> Sorry, just lessons of like shit things to build your house out of. And you go, oh, but people do build their house out of water. They're called Inuits. And go, ice isn't really water though, is it? I understand that it's something. God, that was such a Stuart Lee voice when he's doing the kind of thing. Because, yeah, but Stu. I'm, I'm going to well, invent people, a person to argue do with. make houses out of water. And <laughs> yeah. I know you're not necessarily much of an Alan Partridge watcher, but there's a section where he accidentally kind of improvises an argument with Chris Rea. <laughs> it's just it it starts as him fantasizing about buying a big house in the area where Chris Rea lives, and it degenerates into an argument about whether um, his Chris Rea's girlfriend, who he's brought to Alan's uh, barbecue, can have fish or not because she's a vegetarian. And he's like, oh, forget it, you people. There's no one else there. It's just him. Um, By the way, if you eat fish, you're not a vegetarian. You're pescatarian. You are. Um, I've got a. I've still got a card from the Vegan Society with a carrot on one side and a fish on the other. Uh, one says like, animal, not animal, basically. Um, so anyway, uh, 
Speaking of being unwell, it's where George starts to go a bit <laughs> oh, unwell, yeah. getting a bit peaky. He goes on the turn, he refuses a charbroiled hot dog, which doesn't seem like the sort of thing that chunky James Brolin man would want yeah, to do. Yeah, you know, a sort of uh, manly man with a beard and who Ooh, wears plaid in does. the 70s yeah. turns down some meat that seems unlikely. It does seem unlikely, um, but yeah, he's looking sickly. Uh, it seems like, yeah, the the initial symptoms of uh, some sort ghost of... Ghost madness. Ghost madness. Actually, you know, ghost sickness is yeah. uh, a thing in, in Chinese culture, ah. um, which I won't go into to... because I don't know enough about it to just talk about it off the top of my head. Is it similar to phantom pain? <laughs> <laughs> um, Pedants. No. No, it's not. No, I know it's not. it isn't no, like that at all. That's a whole different thing. Um... Yeah, it's really similar to the flu. Mm. Uh, his uh, ghost things, because he mostly is yeah troubled by the house being apparently damn cold. To yeah, damn cold. He's got yeah. loss of appetite, fatigue, coughing. Um, yeah, and temperature issues. Um, um, although the temperature issues do get worse later on. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the, the doors start coming off. They... Well, yeah, there's a bit of a breeze. <laughs> there is that drafty old. So house. yeah. He's like, there's a brief, there's a breeze from the basement. He's like, the place is meant to be well insulated, and he drops a line here. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of good little stuff in this film. Where it's obviously it does present genuine ghost things going on, but it does also ratchet up his like financial woes. So he yeah. talks about the the real estate agency who says they'll they'll, they'll nickel and dime you to death. So like these, one of the reasons they bought the house is obviously on the pretends that it's got a well insulated basement and apparently doesn't so it's more another expenditure mm. for him yeah and they continue to genuinely quite masterfully just keep twisting that up yeah there's the the kind of balance between what could be completely normal things of like the stress of well, I mean stress of moving house is massive yes I agree and you know money problems as well and you know, those kind of things and also like I mentioned before carbon monoxide poisoning potentially um, so yeah or black mold no black mold um, you know it sort of the, the supernatural stuff isn't so blatant early on mm. that it couldn't just be like Oh, the priest just had a weird moment and imagined some stuff, <laughs> or, um... <clears throat> but yeah, it still gives you kind of the option that, like, maybe that's not real. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly, it's done so slowly and gradually, um, that it's, uh, I think, I mean, kind of one of the best gradual descents into some sort of evil state. I think that might be that is probably a fair statement. In we uh, also, in all fairness, we do tend to watch slightly shitter films that uh, other people make. But yeah, I think they don't try to do too much in this. So it's not distracted with things. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about the. I don't want to call it a remake because it's just another variant of the um, story. Although it does actually. Uh, reuse elements that are only in the movie version so mm. Sandor Stern has got a little credit on that as well I forgot to mention where we will see Sandor Stern again in this uh, thing by the way, he is also the writer-director of Amityville The Evil Escapes no. or as we know it Evil Lamp movie <laughs> 
So we, were, we are going to have him show up for again doing that. Um, but yeah, that film is a lot busier in terms of... It's got that... Two th- I don't know if it's a Platinum Dunes film, but it's got that Platinum it, Dunes it, vibe. The it feels like it, yeah. Nought shit, kind of bad noughts horror. Uh, and uh, I will mention it again later when the uh, when the babysitter shows up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, George investigates the basement and he wanders into uh, an American horror movie basement. And it's, it's huge and it's full of, like, bed frames and... Yeah. Toy prams and things. Strange, unused things. Not the um, biggest I've seen. The one in the, the one in the Conjuring is enormous, and of course the one in the Conjuring Two underneath uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> a tiny house in Enfield is ludicrous mm. and absolutely not the thing that that house would have. Yeah. They would have a cupboard under the stairs, and they'd like it. Yes. Well, that's where you keep your child wizard. <laughs> um, Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Did Harry Potter live in a giant underground? <laughs> basement the the whole size of the floor plan of the house did he live in no, a root cellar no he didn't do that he didn't live at all he's a fictional <laughs> <laughs> but he was the boy who lived though Chris oh my god in a cupboard under the stairs is the full <laughs> thing of that yeah but yeah the, the lovely bit of um uh pausing by uh James Brolin in mm. in this basement to allow his hair to be ruffled in this supernatural breeze. But yeah, we do see the supernatural breeze a couple of times, but he's his more subtle because he has the he has got short hair that Margot Kidder does. Mm. Also he's looking for a drop Am I wrong? There's a gigantic door in that fucking basement, right, that he stands right next to and doesn't pay any attention to, doesn't try to open it. It looked like one to me. It looks like an exterior door that you get like at the back gate of a northern pub or yeah. something like that that leads into an alleyway out the back it looked like one of those but he ignores it completely yeah but then I suppose my kind of knowledge of what basements look like is taken entirely from American horror films that's true <laughs> and you know they're just like covered in shit and I'm amazed it didn't have like mannequins covered in sheets down there apparently yes. that's quite a common thing yeah like you know a ball, a small child's ball, which just rolls. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, what what we know as uh, as British viewers from American <laughs> horror movies is that basements are enormous, and all houses have to be big enough to house sixty four people if you're going to move your family of four or five into them. Yes, it's a good size. It's a good size. Yeah. Apparently, it's not really like that for many people in, in like regular uh, lines of a. Uh, Quarry, which is why I did like the idea of them doing the Conjuring Two, but of course how they did the Conjuring Two was making the interior of that house also mm. ludicrously big. It looks small by comparison to say this house in the Amityville Horror, but it looks vastly palatial compared to a 1930s um, Pickett's Lock um, Enfield house. Yeah, little council flat. Uh, here's where the movie begins its short um, vendetta against light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little Incident Matt comes number down one. the stairs. Uh, he stacks it completely. He tries to ready himself on a, a light bulb that's just in a fitting straight out of the wall. And he just rips it straight out of the blasts it. And he falls down the thing and he just ends up just a little scuffed. Uh, he hasn't lacerated his hand yeah. or suffered a, you know, a, a huge electrical shock. Oh, splinters or anything. 
See, it's just, it's a really awkward kind of fall where mm. it's like, okay, you've got to go and fall down this staircase now, but make it look natural. And it's like, okay, I'll just punch the light bulb. I go, ah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Maybe it was but, I mean, a way of darkening the scene so you didn't uh, have any, I yeah. don't know. But all I know is that he gets taken fed and we catch up with uh, Kathy doing semi-nude yoga. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it? Or is it ballet? Hmm. I... It, is, it is like ballet posing yeah. where, where you see the thing with the mirror and the rail. Mm. It obviously hasn't got the rail, but it has got the mirror with that horrible sort of... <sighs> looks like it's going mouldy <laughs> yeah, sort of effect all over it. It's supposed to be like a marble effect. I suppose just, so. It does make it, it look mouldy. It is very it. 70s. I've, I've seen people with like patterned mirrors and things oh, like that yeah. that they've had that they'd had for... At the time, say ten to twenty years, mm-hmm. they tend not to. I was going to say they tend not to have them now, but I've just realised the people I'm thinking of tend to not be alive oh. anymore, mm. which is why I don't see those things anymore. Yeah. So never mind. There's Kathy uh, uh, doing uh, ballet yoga in the most traditional ballet yoga outfit mm. of like one giant sock and tits out. Mm. You ever danced around with just one giant sock on? Uh, actually, you know, I probably have. Uh, I was almost certainly wearing a bra, though. <laughs> I wasn't asking that. Because <laughs> they're a bit floppy otherwise. <laughs> have you danced about with your tits out? Let's get it, let's just get it out of the way. No, you've answered the question already. Let's move on. Uh, I am really not the same shape as Marco Kidder. <laughs> no, that's true. Neither am I. I have danced about it now. Similarly floppy. Not that we've compared. Look, let's uh, let's uh, let's draw a line under this. Um, she does put a, a flower in her hair, despite the lack of going to San Francisco. Um, surprised by George. It is the wrong coast. Um, so there. <laughs> Get back to our holy water chair. George comes in, she, he surprises me, he says something like, I watch you all the time. So I didn't know you were watching me, though. I watch you all the time. Oh, yeah, I think it's sort of in a romantic, I, non creepy way. I, I think it's pro- guess it's because he is sort of uh, getting creepy already, but yeah, yeah it's, it's meant to be nice. And you know it's nice because they cross fade into gauzy, tasteful knobbing. Mm. But also, something, I think this is just something that is done kind of um, automatically when shooting men and women but like women tend to be shot from eye level and men tend to be shot from below to make them look taller mm. and it's very much done with the two of, with George and Kathy here mm. like James Rowland's shot from below um, which I think really helps when he has his more mad turns because he just kind of looks more intimidating and looming. That makes sense. Um, but I just kept noticing it because it's it's like that's probably like more like my view of people being that I'm quite short <laughs> and I just see a lot of people's chins, you know. Maybe so. Um, I mean, yeah, I suppose George Lutz himself is certainly more physically imposing than Kathy Lutz as well. Mm. But um, I don't think that was really what they were thinking of when they were doing it. His is more kind of a girth yeah. scenario. He's a large man. I'm a large man. Can I say that? Probably. He's fat. He's dead. Um, <laughs> he ain't gonna sue me for saying for saying he's fat. <laughs> that would be that would be overkill. Um, yeah, I mean, he might have sued you for 
saying that, you know, it was all a hoax or something, but... Uh, uh, he might have done. Which is why I'm not saying that. No. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did make a joke when we were watching it. That that's how you know you're in a big Hollywood movie now, Margot. For, for, you got to get him out and roll around on the floor in a gauzy thing. But, yeah, I suppose it is it's... to remind you that they're meant to be sort of very yeah, loving it's... with each other and intimate and things like that before it all goes to shit. It's not really a titillating No, that's sexy. true. I mean, like, I say she's got her tits out, but she's just got an open shirt yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's... there's no lingering shots yeah. of anything. It's it's all, it's all almost genuinely wholesome in the kind of, you could probably show it in the afternoon. Yeah. You couldn't show it in the afternoon. People <laughs> would cause a fuss. But it feels, it does certainly does feel like... Mm. You know, non-pornographic, let's yeah. say. and it's just like they have their. We've got Amateur Two for that. They have their little chat about you know, it's difficult and they want to make it work mm. and how much they love each other, and you know I think it does help to just kind of emphasise the the kind of like loving, tender side of George, just yeah. to make when he is an asshole, just. The contrast is is higher, and it's just has more impact. Agreed. So um, it's, it's like yeah, a sex scene that actually serves the plot. <laughs> it does. It's true. Um, they they carry on, but they are disturbed by Lalo Schifrin's scary kids. <laughs> They're at the door. They just watched the haunting. <laughs> they want to try that creepy doorknob business. <laughs> I'm joking, it's Amy. It's Amy who wants to go home. Ah, uh, because I've only just moved in, she's not used to the house, as far as she knows. Ah, uh, it's a thing. Oh, no. That's it's apparently a thing. I moved loads of times. I I was like, okay, this is home now, fine. Okay, I guess so. Maybe you, you maybe you did just get used to that? I don't know. Hmm. How young were you, I suppose? Uh, she's meant to be five. Alright, oh, well, I moved when I was... Uh, one mm. uh, when I was four when I was five when I was eleven when I was <laughs> it yeah. keeps going um, I th- I've probably moved house over like 20 times gotcha and it was just yeah I, I was I moved house as a baby like when I was 18 months old and stayed in that one until I was 26 ah. although the original house did apparently have um I won't say a ghost, but my, my parents thought it was haunted because uh, the previous occupant uh, had killed himself in the bath. Oh. Um, so there we go. I just thought I'd bring that well, up. Well, my mum has about. thought that two of the houses we've lived in were haunted. Hmm. Um, but uh, she is a believer in that sort of yeah. thing. I... So, you know, when you have a room that's colder <clears throat> than others because the windows are always open. Yes. <laughs> Um, I ha- I did skew more towards believing in that thing, those things back in the day, and mm. I now skew mostly away from believing yeah. in those sorts of things. It doesn't mean that when I lived in, it doesn't mean not that. Uh, basically, what I'm saying <laughs> is that when I lived particularly in Hendon, in the place there, I didn't like the upstairs of that house. I don't know why. I won't say it's because oh, I think it was haunted. It just mm. I didn't like being in the upstairs hallway. Mm. Uh, and I think those are the sorts of weird feelings that people can go, they can run with. Yeah. And they haven't. I, I have no rational explanation for not liking that, like, just a few square feet of mm. area to be standing in. But there we are. Um, now, 
I pointed this out when we were watching. There are many unexplained mysteries relating to the Amityville horror, but so far nobody has found an explanation for Kathy, previously wearing an entirely unbuttoned white blouse, standing <laughs> up, and seems to have immediately changed it to George's buttoned-up shirt. But there you go. She takes Amy to bed, and then we get like, some horror movie 101. Ah, uh, a little rocking chair rocking by itself. Rocking by itself. And uh, a stale kick for a clock. Get used to 3.15, kids. It's going to happen a lot. I'm going to be saying Dale Cooper a clock a lot as well. So I should probably explain that in Twin Peaks, Agent Dale Cooper stayed at room 3.15 of the (laughs) Great Northern Hotel. When I see a 3.15, I think of Dale Cooper. It's not a bad thing to think of as a general rule. Mm -hmm. In reality, by the way, he'd be a terrible lawman. But in uh, in the weird world of Twin Peaks, he's the ideal person to have on a strange case yeah uh, let's not talk about Fox Mulder Fox Mulder's just bad news all around so yeah George wakes at 3.15 There's, you're going to see a lot of this he goes for a wander he closes windows that are mysteriously opened the uh, the window that uh, Jodie apparently opens in oh, yeah. Amy's bedroom I love how little they make of that fact yes. that that window keeps opening no one comments on it at all because this is when horror films were subtle. <laughs> um, I mean, this this isn't a particularly subtle film. No, that's true. But this the, bit of it the, is the, that bit, yeah. Uh, but that's when he gets freaked out by um, the performer mentioned Proto Annabelle. Yeah, uh, sitting in the rocking chair. Mm. Now the thing is, um, obviously, there is talk about Adam Lorraine Warren being. Amateurville adjacent. They investigated the house after the Lutzes had left. Um, and I know it's not a stretch to think there are other stories of creepy dolls that move by themselves, but I do wonder if this has somehow made it into the story from the Annabelle story mm. the Warrens have. That stuff, you know, is from. Mm. happened around 1969, 1970. I don't know when the Lutzes themselves. The, the Lutzes, the Warrens themselves, um, took ownership of Annabelle, or rather, well, custodianship, let's say, maybe, <laughs> yeah. of Annabelle. But um, I'm almost certainly reading too much into it. But um, is it not just exactly like an Annabelle movie when that, that doll's sitting on the <laughs> on the chair? Yeah. But um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we we said like with the window, it's nice and subtle. Um, but other things aren't so much, and it's one thing that's a bit odd is that it this film can't quite seem to decide what the actual kind of symptoms and phenomena of this haunting or just mm. evil presence are, because it sort of dabbles in a few things and then just abandons them. Yeah, if you um, I have but again I haven't read thing, the book, but the, yeah, the book that, is like if you've ever read just lists of the phenomena in the book. They're crazy. Yes, and maybe we've seen shadowy things, or we hear voices, or there's sludge mm. and stuff like that. Uh, it's just—it's like there's just too many kind of differing supernatural things that are all just smushed together. Yeah, being haunted by different things with different mo's all yeah. at once. And who knows what could have happened in the crazy history of this fifty-year-old house? <laughs> it's so old. Old as balls. Old as balls. Uh, the house was built in like the ni- mid 1920s, I think. Uh, yeah. 
Dutch so colonial Dutch style. Colonial style. <laughs> I think the building we're in might even be older than that. It's, <laughs> this is 20s or 30s, guaranteed mm. by the design. But, you know, I've lived in Victorian houses. I suspect the one you live in at the moment is Victorian era. Um, I think... Oh, about uh, turn of the century. Okay, so a little later. But yeah, there were various expansions. The the Hendon one was 1930s, I think, rather than anything else. But yeah, I've, I've lived in some some houses older than this with no no yeah, I mean, sign of uh, any uh, weird goo. The, the one that I spent most of my childhood in was, I think, from 1845. Mm. Any goo I've encountered in houses I've been in, I've been <laughs> able to easily explain. <laughs> So anyway, I think one of the reasons they might obfuscate the uh, time of year in this is so that people aren't annoyed, aren't upset when they realise these people keep the dog chained up outside oh, yeah. all night in December. That poor dog. In Long Island. <laughs> Harry. Um, in the in reality, he's, he's like a crossbreed Malamute and something else. He's not the... Oh, I think Malamute Labrador. Whereas he seems... I think some kind of just a black lab in this or something like that. Um, That's oh, not quite uh, accurate. It's a, he's a he's a more sort of thinny, yeah. wiry... A black lab mixed with something. Anyway, yeah. he's very nice. He's my favourite character. Yeah, that makes sense. He doesn't <laughs> do anything dickish. <laughs> Even when he appears to be doing something dickish, he's actually trying to defend the place. He's just, you know, made hmm. a, 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 a misidentification. <laughs> So yeah, George just um, just wandering about, comes into the house to have a smoke, and then uh, it's treated to an entry-level jump scare. Yes. Although at least there's only, what, two jump scares really in the film. I suppose so. This Both one is like, very... you know, things out a window. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember if I noticed it earlier, but there's, there's one where Amy just sort of comes into the room, we see her, and it's not even a jump scare, it's just... Oh yeah, a, a sudden surprise, and I like yeah. it. I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like noise. Oh, it's a cat. Because mm-hmm. years ago, even when I hadn't even seen that many horror films, but I had a dim notion of what they might be like. I wrote a parody horror film sketch that my friend Ali and myself were going to be in called Midnight in Peckham, <laughs> where we have a discussion about how something is probably going to scare us, but it will just turn out to be a cat because I was like fourteen. I was sort of ha smug. Uh, and I was <laughs> joking about the the cat thing, and then yeah, it happens in this. There's a there's a cat in Halloween too as well, a, a cat scare. And this cat that's like in a dumpster or something. Someone <laughs> and it's cheap, but it does lead to an excellent bit later in the film, an excellent callback, which I really like, and it doesn't call attention to itself. Ah, I don't remember. Excellent. Um. If you if you're liking James Brolin already and uh, smoking doesn't put you off, then him in jeans, no shirt, but a big sort of chunky jacket, having a fag <laughs> looks good. <laughs> it's a good sign. Um, day four is where we get into what I remember from Crazy George. In this, is that I'm full of ableist language in this. That's the problem with horror films; you can't unproblematically mm. um, um, enjoy them. I don't think. By their nature, they have to work on something that is problematic. Anyway, uh, yeah, just obsessively chopping wood and looking a little more immediately insane. I think it's more just a sleep deprivation. Yeah. Situation. Definitely some sort of 
like stuffed up with flu, can't sleep. Mm. Um, and this like obsessive chopping of the wood. Uh, which like I do that in Skyrim when I need to uh, you know craft new dragon bone arrows. Oh, right. <laughs> I run out. Must just sit and chop wood for like what must be hours in game. <laughs> yeah, put on a podcast and chop. <laughs> I never think to do that bit with uh, busy working games. I'm just doing the busy work. I don't think to uh, fill it fill time with anything else. Uh, so Kathy comes back with the shopping. Uh, she drives a Chevrolet truck. Does the movie have a Chevrolet endorsement? I don't know. Both the cars so far, the featured vehicles, Chevys. Who knows? Well, we have our, our second uh, light bulb incident. Yes. When she drops the shopping. She comes back with uh, two paper bags of stuff, which cons- constitutes a week's groceries for this family of five. Hmm. It Even might be there's, there's like, already stuff in the house, I don't yeah. know, so it might just be a top-up. So there's like certainly two boxes of light bulbs in there that's sort of... That's true. Yeah. Because, yeah, one does stack it when she drops the bag. Mm. It's a weird one because he doesn't... Like, George is just chopping wood, right? And she's... I think she's... She drops one bag and then says, look what you made me do, and it might just be because it meant... Oh, she had to carry both bags instead of just one bag. Yeah, that's... But that's an odd... That's a bit... Yeah. Is that what I made you do? Yeah. But no, yeah, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, there's a week's worth of groceries rolling down the truck. No, it's all just there. But yep, um, constitutes the, continues the movie subplot about light bulbs. Oh, uh, is where the uh, the weird smell it hits the kitchen. Uh, and that's where we get the bless this mess sign. Someone did try to bless that mess. Uh, yeah, and it didn't they, work. they ended up in a bigger mess. <laughs> Alright, I'm just gonna um, pop this thing. I've been trying not to do it when you No, 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 go for it. Um, like many a uh, podcast I've been on before, this one is not sponsored by Pepsi Max. Uh, but lots of Pepsi Max is gonna be drunk. This is a Pepsi Max cherry, so enjoy that. Uh, this podcast, by the way, uh, let's get this out of the way. This podcast will never be sponsored. Uh, we won't. We won't have a Patreon. We won't be reading out ads for Audible or Casper mattresses or anything like that. There will be no money made from doing this podcast, so don't worry about that. There's not going to. We won't be reading ad copy at you. If yeah. we are, uh, it's going to be ironically. Yeah, it's essentially because this is all. It all boils down to something that happened because actual murders this were committed. Thing, yeah, so I, I think we have sort of vaguely talked about that fact since. But when I first wrote like a little planning document for this, I wrote no monetization, mm-hmm. and you said I agree with you. But we never explained to each other why. Yeah, and I think <laughs> we both know why, mm-hmm. and it's because yeah. Uh, I don't want to be seen to be profiting in even the smallest way from the death of six people. Yeah. Uh, and it, this the, now I say it out loud, it feels very grandiose and uh, like self-important. But I don't really care. Like, but mm, it's just yeah, the the self-honest feeling is yeah. I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah. So anyway, that's why you won't be hearing uh, Casper Mattresses or Dollar Shave Club or anything like that. It costs more than a dollar. Why are you called that? Also, just buy a safety razor and some double-edged blades. Much cheaper, much easier to uh, continue to work with. Uh, and we've got a hipster face. Um, um, after I saw the Bless This Mess sign, uh, by the way, I got a push notification from Words With Friends, the Scrabble-type uh, mm. app, where I was told that the word of the day is blessed. 
and I mean literally within seconds. Coincidence? Yes! Um, <laughs> and this hey, is where we get the little jump with Amy. You get to you, you get to add one d4 to your saving throws. Oh God! <laughs> the cast zone of truth. Um. Sorry. Yeah, we have that little jump scare with Amy, and then um, Kathy calls Father Delaney. It's weird how apart from this film he remains. He talks about it a lot, but he. Like, he goes to the house, they're not there. Every time they try and talk on the phone, they can't. Yeah. When she goes to see him, he's not there. He's never in a scene with them. No. No. And they're meant to be sort of old friends and things like that. Incredibly strange. It is. Uh, But it's it's not Father Jolay who answers the phone. It's It's Father Bolan. Father Bolan. Who is talking like this? got a creepy voice he, he just has. looks a little bit creepy he looks with that hair mostly like Javier Bardem from No Country for Old Men um, which also starred son of James Brolin Josh Brolin Josh Brolin the man who must be very annoyed that his dad's more attractive than him yeah also his dad married Barbara Streisand oh I didn't know that actually James Brolin's married too ah Streisand is not Josh Brolin's mother that's a whole different thing right so yes, if uh, if Josh Brolin is Daddy Thanos, this is Granddaddy Thanos. <laughs> I don't know why I said it in that voice, but never mind. Uh, so yeah, they have this conversation about whether or not Father Delaney went to the house or not because we waited in all day. Yeah. No, you fucking no. didn't. You blatantly didn't. In the movie, you went on a boat trip. Oh, absolutely. Nonsensical. I feel like it sort of undermines the. Like, the trust you have in, in people who were like, yeah, I waited in all day for someone to come and fix the washing machine. Uh-huh. And they were like, no, we rang the bell and no one answered. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, no, I genuinely was here. I wasn't on a boat trip. Yeah. <sighs> God. <laughs> so anyway, um, there's that. And this is where um, a full-on nun pulls up. Is her car a Chevrolet? No. <clears throat> it's an Oldsmobile and a Mega. <laughs> From this point on, I'm not going to be listing the name, the makes of cars in the movie, uh, but there are plenty of non-Chevrolet films. Um, there's an AMC Pacer, there's a Buick LeSabre, but there is a Chevrolet Monza. The first two things I saw were the Chevy Van, the Chevy Nova, and the Chevy Monza. Uh, it makes me sound like I'm an expert on classic 1970s boxy American cars. <laughs> I'm not. I went to imcdb.org. You were going to ask me, I think. Sorry. Um, did you say uh, Omega? Yes. Did they do an Alpha as well? I, for no, the, you're the thinking of the religious ones. Oh, I see. No, I don't know. I the don't Alpha know. And I, the Omega. I was sort of trying. I to... I got confused by the Vauxhall Astra. Oh see, right. Oh no. <laughs> I was trying to construct some sort of I am the Alpha and the Omega joke, but it just it didn't work. It's fine. Right. This is Kathy's aunt, Auntie Nun. Kathy's aunt did visit the house, uh, at least in the book, and in reality. And in reality, Kathy's aunt is a former nun. Uh, and probably didn't show up in full habit and wimple here. Um, but in, never mind, inside the house, there's plumbing issues. There's some black gold and Texas tea coming up out there. <laughs> didn't watch the Beverly Hillbillies, I guess. I, oh, God, yeah, I think I might have. Oh god. I'm talking about the actual series, not the yeah. cr- comedy movie with Diedrich Bader. That's oh that's a blast from the past. Um 
But yeah, th this is a sort of setup that's like almost feels like it's a National Lampoon's <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, your aunt, the nun, is coming to visit. <laughs> she was to inspect the place. Yeah, yeah inspect like, oh, we're gonna, the new we're, house. Yeah, we, we haven't packed up. She's gonna judge us. And it's like, and now the the toilets are just full of sludgy oil and oh, and it smells. Um, <laughs> also, there's some sort of weird pervasive aura of evil. This is one of the bits I did actually catch in the book when I was flicking through it, that there was like go goopy black stuff in the toilets. And Kathy looked at the kids and said, have you put paint in the toilet? And all the kids went, no, mummy. So that's that cell. <laughs> Must have been a ghost. Yes. Um, so they send the boys down to let in Auntie Nun. And she like, just lets herself in. She just, like, yeah, she's like, called Helena. But, uh, okay, we'll Auntie, Auntie Nun. Nun. Aunt, aunt, aunt sister. Yeah, and they're like, she's always pinching. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they get near the door and she just says, Hello, Matthew! And just <laughs> straight in his face. His face, which is already fucking red raw <laughs> from, from a, a previous, previous take. take. <laughs> Where they've already done that. And she's immediately a kind of... I've heard of the laughing policeman. This is the laughing nun. She just giggles to herself as the kids wander off. And then all of a sudden, the evil aura of the place... <laughs> shuts her up. Like she, she just realises. So yeah, it's that, that weird forced laughter. Uh, just yeah. uh, Jolly Nun. So yeah, so basically, oh, which, which Jolly remind, Nun reminds me. Yeah. Um, sorry, I burped there. That's all right. Um, We're humans. Oh. Or are we dancer? Oh um, no, Tony Dancer. <laughs> uh, just. Totally off topic, but reminded about nuns. Did you know that Whoopi Goldberg is coming to do a run as uh, in the musical of Sister Act? Yes, ah. as, Del as Dolores, not just like yeah. uh, another character in it. I did know that. Ah, that's quite exciting, but we think it'll probably be quite expensive. Oh, it, it'll be that mm -hmm. as well. At least she will be in it, rather than just like when Hugo Weaving is in Solaris, but it's just a, like a video of him in the, in the <laughs> Solaris, rather than him night after night in Solaris but never mind um, so yeah is it a supernatural force that wipes the smile off her face or does she come in and she's just so annoyed they haven't unpacked yet mm. that she well, like, stops they, laughing and starts retching at the state of the place the fact that, that Kathy hasn't even come to greet her just the, the kids <laughs> have and then they've just fucked off immediately <laughs> Uh, she pulls the trick. I need to remember this trick when I'm in a social situation I don't want to be in. She's like, oh, no, I don't feel well. I, I must I must go. I'll make you tea, your favourite tea. No, I have to I get just, out of I here. can't stay More. here. And, um, but I probably do less performative retching. Yes. Because this is, yeah, she drives off and opens the door and what her retching sound is kind of... Uh, we won't be able to. We won't be able to match it. It's brilliant. But yeah, it's absolutely the sort of utterly wrong noise that does not set off my emetophobia at all because it just sounds nothing like barfing. Nice. So at night, then we see uh, George and Kathy indulging in their new hobbies, which is uh, burning wood <laughs> and painting Virgin Mary statues. <laughs> While listening to harpsichord music, <laughs> on the on the uh, subtitles, this is referred to as baroque classical music. Oh, but which baroque a, and classical are yes, oh, which gosh. is a bit like watching a German expressionist French New Wave film. <laughs> I, I hunted for ages to find. It's like listening to a jazz rock song. No, Chris, there is jazz rock. Oh shit! Um, so yeah, I couldn't make it work with musical genres. 
I had to do it with film instead. And uh, with two periods of film right next to each other <laughs> rather than... Well, I mean Baroque and Classical right next to mm. each other as well. But they lasted a long old time. Um, I take this, by the way, with her painting a Virgin Mary statue and us seeing George through a fire as clunky heaven and hell imagery. Oh, that hadn't occurred to me. I She's in a you know, brightly lit room yeah. and things and he's all gloomy downstairs. Yeah. Never mind. There's, there's there's quite a lot of, um, I mean, apart from being friends with a priest who came to bless the house, we can kind of um, infer her religious leanings because of the amount of paraphernalia there that is, is around that, the house. Yeah, the sh- obviously the shiny crucifix was thing, but yeah, a lot hmm. of people have uh, that sort of thing. That's incredible. Yeah, well, there's that, but then there's the the Virgin Mary she's painting. There's one in the car. There and is that. This mess. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, it's a, it does trust your audience to understand that she's a Catholic, and obviously we'll, we'll come to it later. But like um, uh, George's friend Jeff talking about him changing religion as, from, as one of the potential sources of stress. Yeah, that, yeah, kind of vaguely unpracticing Methodist. Who I assume are kind of vaguely unpracticing <laughs> Catholic, to be honest with you. But um, I imagine that was probably one of the conditions of getting married to her was. Mm taking that on board I don't know and that may not have even been the case in reality but it is the case in the film yeah. which is what we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, we move on to the fifth day which oh, I call it but in, also yeah. just uh, <laughs> the fact that the, the film does kind of imply that um, even if you've got you know all your Jesus paraphernalia and, and stuff around your house it doesn't fucking do anything it, didn't, it certainly didn't help in this no. instance <laughs> particularly the tiny Virgin Mary statue in the van what's oh, that yeah. going to do Unless was, was it was it like a a, a nodding a, virgin, a bobblehead virgin? I don't believe so. <laughs> the Holy Mother. Do you agree with me? <laughs> I hit the brake. Mary <laughs> nods enthusiastically. <laughs> this is how you'd uh, this is how you'd argue with you kids. It's it's a true religious relic. <laughs> I thought it was like the badly Irish at that. Uh, I don't know, and I I really fucking doubled down on it, didn't I? Sorry about that. That's um. Uh, we know it's a horror movie now because we have the accidental male horror of erectile dysfunction. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've I've seen that as a as a kind of symptom of uh, demonic presence or like possession or anything before. No. But I imagine it's extremely uh, a symptom of. Um, like depression brought about by financial instability. Yeah, and, and other stressors and in life. Stresses, yeah. yeah. I, they don't make a big thing of it, but uh, yeah. But we have the. Yes, we have a traditional male fear, and we have a traditional female fear upcoming. You'll, you'll like it. It's one they used all the time in Star Trek. <laughs> but uh, later, it's Dale Cooper o'clock. Kathy wakes up from her sleep. She yells, She was shot in the head! And then just sort of goes back to sleep again great it's a very efficient nightmare mm. um and then we get the weird red filtered house shot that I, I can't explain oh yeah it's it, another ex- they do the they do three of... slightly different versions of red filter shot of the house yeah and they're all they're all very odd and done in different ways and this it, one is a great look it's a great look but it just doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense yeah because it, it's not 
just a red filtered shot. Uh, there's parts of it where it's like kind of negative colours mm. and yeah. like in the trees and it's just odd and it's inexplicable basically. Yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot but I know you have a history in photography and I thought if anyone of the two of us on this <laughs> podcast could shine some light on that technique it would be you but it's clearly just very odd. Yeah it's just odd um, I don't know Right. That was all we had for the fifth day. Uh, uh, okay. An unsuccessful unsuccessful shag and some screaming. Uh, so we have the sixth day, which, again, if we are saying they moved in on December 18th, this is Christmas Eve. It says Saturday on screen. No, it was Wednesday. <laughs> 1975. Based on the true story, um, why? Why would you not try to get the tie if you what if you're after verisimilitude which this whole thing is sold on yeah why would you not at least try your hardest to get the tiny little bits like that correct or even say have someone say merry christmas yeah. at some like, point the bits that are easily verifiable yeah it's like i mean sure you can't tell what actually happened in that house but you can know what the f- what fucking day it was yeah. on like the 20th of december or <laughs> You can know whether a particular bar existed yeah. or not. Um, so anyway, yes. Uh, as action, there's priest action. It's fathers Boland and Delaney. Boland driving Delaney's car. I, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the insurance situation is with US cars, but I do see a lot of people just driving other people's cars in films. Yeah. Like you drive. Yeah. That doesn't happen so much over here. <laughs> No, because you've got to be, like, named on insurance. Yeah. And... I assume it's kind of nonsense as well, except yeah. maybe some people do have... I know there are people who do have, like, full comp insurance that they can just get into things and it's fine. Uh, I don't know if it's more widely thing. But anyway, mm. they have they have car trouble. Mm. <laughs> In the, yeah. Oh, the, the brakes the, fail, the, the wheel locks up. Yeah. The... The bonnet, the hood. Yes, if you like, flips up. That um, that can happen. That's it. See, this is the problem. Um, you know, priest says, uh, "Jesus, take the wheel." You <laughs> if he has a license first. I'm not touching that one. Um, so, <laughs> if there was anything like this, like um, Pecorero does tell a story. I think about sometime driving and then having the hood flip up. That that can happen. That absolutely can happen. It would be a terrifying thing to experience if you were on a freeway. Hmm. Might be as simple as that. I do like the bit where Delaney reaches out to try and take the wheel, but he's he's got the blistered hands. So oh, he's like, yeah. ah! He snatches his hand back immediately. Again, I don't make a thing of it. It's just there for you to notice. If you do it, they crash into the Amityville Realty sign with a rare non five 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 movie number. <laughs> And I think the fly did it. Because there was a fly in the car as well. Oh, yes. Fly on the windscreen. So, is this the same day or is it the next day? I don't know, but it's Kathy's brother's wedding day. The 12-year-old white afro man, Jimmy. It's because he got high. Uh, Either on Christmas (laughs) Day or... (laughs) I didn't mean to say white afro man. You see, once afro man was out of my head... (laughs) I thought um, I thought of the obviously the very excellent novelty song because uh, I got high. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, Sorry it... again about background sounds. A thing that we like oh, to yeah. have in this neighbourhood are people with 
motorbikes or occasionally we there's people pass by in about four or five different well obviously not one person but a bunch of people <laughs> pass by in about four or five different sports cars that they don't know how to control the gears on probably. Oh. so there's like loud revs and like engines go and things yeah. like that it's terrible and we're, we're right near quite a main road so um still quieter than it would have been in your place bizarrely oh, yeah. where you live on a less busy road but people just really fucking tear down that thing yeah it's it could be weirdly busy that road um and also the fucking construction going on nearby um it's maybe i just thought with like other people around in the wedding as well maybe jimmy's it's more of a jufro yeah, it's interesting, but with I'm, Catholicism. But yeah, thing, that's, that's. I thought it maybe it just poorly cast as a Catholic. Mm, well, maybe. I mean, it's not impossible, but I think you got to look at James Brolin's hair as well. I think just big perms. Mm. I think it was just the thing. But I do understand where you're coming from. Uh, but here's where we have. Now the I realise I don't know if that's actually an acceptable term. Well. It's it's out there and it's done. You've questioned it. That's good enough for me, I guess. But uh, uh yeah, we're we're, we're gonna we're police ourselves to death. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jimmy's counting out fifteen hundred dollars for the caterer. That is uh, over seven thousand dollars now. Yeah, by I was the way. thinking even for then that's awful lot of money for a caterer. I got married twelve years ago. And Rachel and I, we pulled our entire wedding in for less than two grand. <laughs> uh, without feeling like we suffered it. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't like just done in a shed. <clears throat> you know, it was nice. You weren't there. Sorry about that. No, I we didn't, didn't really know, know you then. Yeah, it seems weird. <laughs> I know, I know just that... had to point that out, just in case you're thinking, what, I didn't get invited or something. Sorry, we didn't know each other. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like we hadn't actually met by then. Or it was, it was close... Oh no, actually no, we got to know each other much after that. Anyway, you, you weren't there, sorry about that. People I don't talk to now were there. It's not fair really. Never mind. He has he has the money problem, but worse than that, George is going to be his best man. <laughs> despite looking fucked. <laughs> uh, apparently Amy also has like spooky flu. They don't make a huge amount of it, but uh, it's like, oh yeah, she's coming down, she gets an aspirin before yeah, she goes to she's... bed and that. It seems that she was actually just faking it. Oh, because she didn't, of, she didn't like meatloaf. She didn't get meat like she didn't like meatloaf. Um, Two out of three ain't bad. I, <laughs> I, I stamped on what I knew was going to be your joke. I'm terribly sorry. It's, no, again, it's, it's like we're in a boardroom. And I'm just going to take credit for your ideas. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's fine. There's there's like more than one meatloaf joke that exists, so it's okay. I watched uh, Amityville Vanishing Point the other day. Uh, a, a bad camcorder comedy David Lynch film uh, made by an 18-year-old. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, she has made a number of films in a short space of time, apparently. Uh, I can't remember her name. I do think I remember the name, but I won't say it because I'm not 100% hmm. certain it's accurate. Um, and that has a scene in, at a party where people say weird things and one of them is like the, the would you offer your throat to the wolf with the white roses bit from um, whichever fucking meatloaf song it is <laughs> Hot Summer Night uh, you know the one anyway that there is, a, there is there is a tenuous meatloaf connection in a very very tenuously connected Amityville movie um, 
Yeah, so anyway, the house house has stolen some money. Jimmy's money money worries. He loses his uh, $1,500. Yep, instantly. Um, Instantly, and... Or was he pulling a fast one? Mm. He's like, oh, you know, I'll just... uh, You know... (laughs) No, I won't say that. Um, But, you know, I mean, sometimes people do lean on those who have got some means as far as he's concerned. I think it is obviously meant to be spooky biz but people do just mislay things yeah and then there's that that weird kind of zoom that feels like it's on the people as they're leaving the room Mm. but then it keeps zooming after they've left and it's like it's kind of implicating the couch yeah and it's like it just ate the money i mean okay i've lost some money down the back of the couch before but Mm. not quite fifteen hundred dollars yeah fifteen hundred nineteen seventy five dollars yeah I mean, it would be weird for me to have dollars anyway. But yeah, George, George uh, adds to his own financial pressure by offering to write a check for the uh, caterer. And he, you, <laughs> honestly, I've got it here, so I must have suspected Jimmy because I've just got almost expect Jimmy to go. <laughs> 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 um, we also see uh, Jackie, the babysitter, who I consider a microcosm of the difference between this and the other filmed version of the Amityville Horror. Yes. Uh, Whereas in this, she's a a very dour girl with a very obvious external brace situation. Yeah, the the, headgear. Yeah. There's something that used to be mentioned in in books like... like Judy Bloom ones or something. Right. Um, like American kind of kids or like young adult stuff and like they would have headgear. Mm. And I was like, the fuck is that? Because mm. um, I don't think it's been used in quite some time. Mm. Uh, I mean, certainly when I had braces, they were all in just my mouth. And <laughs> <laughs> they didn't orbit my face or anything. I never had braces of any sort, which is why my teeth are weird there I've got some crazy business going on uh, however you might recall in the 2005 version when the babysitter shows up that woman is all midriff yeah and when I say midriff it kind of goes from under boob to waist oh and she's a, lower lower than that it's uh, a, some real low slung it's a low slung skirt yeah or possibly pants. jeans or something like that yeah. yeah I would think yeah we probably get a lot of leg as well so yeah. it's not going to be a and she she starts flirting with like the what the the kid yeah one of and one it's... of the uh, one of the boys and in the uh, you you might not remember in this uh, like uh, Ren, Ryan Reynolds by the way <laughs> as George Lutz this time even more of an upgrade to some degree uh, leans over the kid and is like you sure you still you still sure you don't want a babysitter mm. Uh, mm. Mm. so <laughs> I don't know. And like she's a stoner as well in the film, and like she she used to babysit the DeFeos and things uh, like that. Yeah. And uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, that is but it's, it's sexualization. It, yeah, By the way, feels like basically just here's a way we can get a woman in who's like just about wearing some clothes. Hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, they they have like nearly nude Melissa George earlier in that film mm. as well, doing some naughty beers. But um. In the book, The Amateur Horror, no babysitter at all. Yeah. Because um, they all go to that wedding. She exists, yeah, solely for this Amy scene. So take, uh, take this 
Uh, with a pinch of fucking salt, the window has opened itself again. The rocking chair stays up because Amy wants to stay up and play with Jody. Amy goes into the cupboard and is followed by a handheld camera. <laughs> and um, Sam's are in there. <laughs> just Amy just. Yeah, this kid just like, sits there on the bed. Fine. Ignores the screaming and shouting and hammering of this baby. So I know we'll mention it when it comes, but when they come home and like the <laughs> she's still in there and Amy's like, literally gone to sleep. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'll ignore that. <laughs> Meanwhile, like uh, Jackie's like hammering her hands bloody mm-hmm. inside the cupboard. This is uh, oh we uh, we have our third and I think final. Um, Victim oh, light, light, bulb. light bulb incident. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't explode or anything, but it does go. There is a noise when it goes off, rather than just switching off. It is a blown light bulb in the fiction of the movie. But anyway, uh, it's time to cut to a smooth jazz wedding. <laughs> uh, it's Moon play, River. It's Blue Moon. Oh, Blue Moon! I knew there was a moon in there somewhere. Uh, one of the uh, less good horror movie appearances of Blue Moon. I think still um, American Werewolf in London is hard to beat for moon-related songs. <laughs> moon River, by the way, not in that film. Hmm. But uh, it is in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, remember the film. Auntie <laughs> Nunn is at the uh, wedding in full gear. I mean, why wouldn't... Like, it's weird. She shows up and I'm like, oh, she's in her nun gear at the wedding. And it's like, why wouldn't she be? She's a nun. That's how they dress. Yeah, like, it's, it's sort of not a costume. That's their clothes. Yeah, and I have I have to remember that because I don't commonly have much contact with nuns. I have none. Oh fuck off. <laughs> so anyway, she's uh, she's apologetic about her viral outbreak. <laughs> I'm going to actually viral outburst, which is actually what I mean. Is like, oh god, no, I don't yeah. feel well. I must leave. Uh, and this is when they we get more. Yeah, the caterer really leans on George here. He's looking bad. Mm. George gets pretty threatening. Yes. Um, but, like, also, what are you going to do in that situation? Yes, the idea was for cash. The cash is gone. Yeah. So like, you either have this check, or you don't get paid in any form at all. Yeah, well, you know you want cash, but there is none here. I mean, you can probably say it in a more reasonable way. But, um doesn't matter it did the job and also like he defaulted on that check so like bonus he must have talked to Auntie Nunn because he then gets out of this social situation by looking really ill going, yes. oh god I must go grab the kids let's leave oh no I'm sorry I've got a touch of the old oh demon flu you know <laughs> <laughs> always take some talcum powder with you and at some <laughs> point all over the face so you look all ashen and then, you oh know, try and keep it off a dark T-shirt, which obviously is going to be a real yeah. problem for you because yeah, you're black T-shirt central. An issue for me. Uh, yeah, I say wearing... Oh, I've got a blue T-shirt, actually. It's trouble. Anyway, they get home. Yeah, Jack is still in a cupboard. The window's <laughs> open again, by the way. Yes. Name is, yeah, having a sleep. Um, they open the door. She's like, I was locked in. It's like, there's no lock on this door. And then I thought of uh, our favourite Canadian show. Good old Paranormal Home Inspectors. I might leave that until later because you mentioned Paranormal Home Inspectors uh, when yes. we watch the movie and I think you'll be able to bring it up at the appropriate time. Yeah. Uh, fantastic show. Uh, she claims that Jodie wouldn't let her open the door. George is like, those kids of yours need discipline. Uh, and we find out Jodie doesn't like George. Yeah. Shocker. What a surprise. 
something I find um, oh, it's like I never had an imaginary friend. I right. I'm not aware of knowing anyone mm. who had an imaginary friend, but they're like everywhere in media and they're certainly everywhere in horror films because yeah. they tend to not be imaginary. But it's like I are imaginary friends that common with kids? Maybe. Or? Are they just more common in America? Could be, <laughs> but also, um, there's a furrow here that I'm going to be ploughing a lot from this point on. You know what has got an imaginary friend in it? The Exorcist. The Exorcist has got Captain <gasps> yeah, Howdy. Captain Howdy. It turns out to be Pazuzu. Mm. Uh, and um, there's a lot of the Exorcist in this true story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When, what year was The Exorcist? 1973. Oh, And that's the movie. The book obviously Uh, predates that. Uh I think it's 71. Um, I tell you what, I haven't checked that. So I've just named a year prior to (laughs) 1973. The movie, though, that made it a big old bit of news. 1973. Mm. What year did Mike Oldfield release Tube of the Bells? 1973. (laughs) (laughs) What year was two years before 1975? 1973. Um, George tries to find the money because obviously they were going to come back later and look for the money. It wasn't just mm-hmm. that he was meant to be out of pocket. Like Jimmy can't have completely lost the money. It must be dropped somewhere. So the idea was that yes, he would write the check and then presumably he would have the money he could put in his account and the check would clear. Um, there's no money. There's only the paper wraparound, which means the couch did steal that money mm. and just left it there. And we get a big look at a ceramic kind of lion dragon thing. That's weird, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they were going to make a thing of it and then didn't. Yeah. How odd. Um, the eighth day, it's the 26th of December. It's not a Monday, it's a Friday. Uh, I'm going to calm down on that soon. Um, it's where the priests go off on their own adventure. They try and get some higher-ups in the church to be interested in. This is where we meet... Uh, I can't remember the name of one of the fathers. The other one is Father uh, Nuncio. Nuncio. Um... Paid by John Larch. Who was first oh, yeah, billed first on billing. when we watched it on uh, Amazon on the MGM channel on Amazon? The, it was uh, John Larch, Marco Kidder, and Rod Steiger. Those were the three names. <laughs> He's in this scene and says maybe three things. <laughs> He's got a great one that when the other priest is like Father Father Nuncio and I have seen many unusual phenomena. He's just like. Mm. He's just, yes. <laughs> It's just a head movement, which obviously doesn't work well on a podcast. You're just like, yeah, <laughs> you bet we have. Yeah, this this priest whose name we forget is uh, basically a priest who just doesn't really seem to believe in evil or, or the devil. There's um, a lot, again, There's a, the whole thing in The Exorcist is they don't want to grant an exorcism because they don't want the Catholic Church to look like a weird medieval mm. situation. They want to be, no, we're a modern, dynamic church for yeah. people, and exorcisms are this horrible sort of relic of the past mm-hmm. uh, and it, they uh, it's not everyone's favourite film they do pick up this notion in Exorcist 2 as well that, um, that <laughs> Father Father Merrin did a, an exorcism and probably shouldn't have done and things like that and also um, Delaney says mentions that he's a psychotherapist as well as a priest in this that drops in and I'm fairly sure that is also the situation with uh, Damien Karras the priest in the Exorcist, he's got something else going on as well uh, in terms uh, of I've listened to the audiobook things. Right. Um, which was actually read by William Peter Blatty 
uh, rather good. Um, mm. I can't remember. I understand. Um, I just, oh god, I, the thing that I mostly remember remember about that is that I did really enjoy it, apart from the fucking detective. Kinderman. Yeah, who just has really, really long sections in the book, oh. and it's all this rambling, kind of Columbo light, <laughs> kind of, oh, and another thing, oh, father, and <laughs> just rambles for ages, and just, if we could cut him out completely, that'd be great. That's fantastic. Um, I tried to find out if uh, Father per- uh, Pacarero was a psychotherapist, and he doesn't seem to be. Mm. I think I saw one reference that he was, but I think it's again where he's people have got confused with uh, yeah. the film rather than this, in the same way that if you search for the house in Tom's River, you'll sometimes get pictures of actual 112 Ocean Avenue. And sometimes if you search for 112 Ocean Avenue, you'll get pictures of the Tom's River house. There's like the Amityville house is up for sale. Which one do you mean? Mm. I mean the Tom's River one, but you get a picture of the actual Long Island one. Very confusing, but there we go. Um, there's there's some great dialogue in this scene with the priests. Yes, um, the, one of them raises a valid point. Yeah. He was like, you know, he... DeFeo said, I heard the I confessed, I heard the voices. It's like they all say that. They all say that. It's not they all say that, but it's it's common. Yeah. Because everyone's going for a, a, an insanity defense. Because they think that it will be a cushy thing. And these people have never seen one flow of them cookies now. Yeah. <laughs> and Delaney uh that brings up what happened in the car. Yeah. And to the response is I blame Detroit a lot faster <laughs> than the devil. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I know I, I will try not to mention Father Ted too much for a number of reasons mm-hmm. but this does remind me of Bishop Brennan and his friend like the sarcastic priest he's <laughs> like you know, did you did you, did you you come down the main road and he's like no we came round by southern Yemen <laughs> and Bishop Brennan is like just finds everything he says hilarious like oh this guy these two just strike me as that kind of sarcastic <laughs> higher up priest mm. double act I, I don't know that they're bishops I don't know what they are uh, because I don't understand the structure of the Catholic Church no they're idea not, they're not cardinals I no. can tell you that well they're they're referred to I think they're called like the other ones refer to them as father so yes. I guess just priests because if they were a bishop they'd say bishop I guess so but they certainly don't they know. certainly have some air of genuine authority over them yeah but so I, I have them down just have them in as boss priests. <laughs> boss priest is bad at the supernatural. Says here. Uh, yeah, we're not in the habit of blaming Satan for every phenomenon. Yeah, it's like it does seem that you are from yeah. the outside at yeah. least. But again, maybe at the time they were trying not to be. And uh, God, it's- Rod Steiger's so good in this. He's got such bad material to work he's with but he sells just it acting the fuck out of it and he, he says a thing that we both like different uh, sides of the thing he prefers to I'm not some pink seat seminarian whatever pink cheeked pink cheeked that yes. makes far more sense I that's the point where I put on the subtitles when I was watching it just to check mm. what it said and yeah pink cheeked by the way I had subtitles on it said pink seated I believe oh. and this time I thought no he says pink seat and I was thinking, like, he's talking about, like, 
when you're in the seminary, if you're if you're like if you misbehaved, you get like oh, a, a right. spanked ass. Is that no? No. But um, the rest of it, I didn't write down. Pink-cheeked seminarian, and yeah, it was the second part of it that I loved. Who doesn't know the difference between the supernatural and a bad clam? I guess maybe they cut out a bit about food poisoning. Like, yeah, well, I think he maybe? sort of mentioned that he was sick, but it does feel like it's a sort of response to one of the other ones, like one of the boss priests going, "Well, clearly you just had food poisoning then." There's a weird bit before they tell him to take a, a vacation where they say, how long is it since you last saw your family? Which is interesting. I don't know if there's a family he had before he became a priest. Catholic priests are celibate. Mm. Um, it's like C of E priests like, get married and you know can do all the beers with having kids and that. So I don't know if this is just a family of with you know, we have siblings or whatever. Yeah. Or if it's a family he left to become a priest or something. I don't know. Um, the idea that he would then obsessively go to bat supernaturally for this family might mean he's missing his own family. Oh, it put me in mind, again, of the Enfield Pottergeist case, case, uh, case uh, where the, the researcher was uh, a man called Maurice Gross. Um, and he really went to bat for uh, this poltergeist case with two teenage girls, uh, one of whom was called Janet. But Maurice Gross had a daughter called Janet who died in a motorcycle accident mm. some years before. So he may have had more of a, a kind of an emotional. Oh, we are sort of transference. Yeah, like thing. just like a, an absolute desire to help these people out and believe them and take them at their word, mm -hmm. rather than be particularly rational. Um, who knows? A speculation on my part based on this one line that doesn't make sense. I've written eleventh day here, and it says I'll stop now in brackets. <laughs> Spoiler alert: I don't stop now. This <laughs> so. Yes, this will be uh, Jeff and Carolyn while George is chopping some wood again. Jeff is a man called Michael Sachs. He played Billy Pilgrim in the film version of Slaughterhouse Five. The man who'd come unstuck in oh, time. Oh, I've not seen that. I've not read or seen Slaughterhouse Five. I, I love that book. Mm, I understand it's a popular one. It's deemed unfilmable, but there's a film. Yeah. So who knows? So it goes. He's also in one of the lesser-known Spielberg films, Sugarland Express, which I have got in my Spielberg box set, and I've never watched. <laughs> Goldie Horns in it. Oh. And his wife Carolyn is played by Helen Shaver, who I had a kind of weird um, Bader-Meinhof moment with a few years ago, where I thought... Um, I get these things where suddenly everything I watch seems to have the same people in. Mm. It happened in the... 90s with uh, Olivia and Mariam Darbo, the two actresses. Every I kept seeing them all over the place in things, and I could have sworn I'd had this with Helen Shaver. And I've looked at the things she's in, and I've seen literally three of them, and that is it. It's not like there's this list of ten yeah. things I know very well. Huh. And those things are a film called Starship Invasions, which is a cheap uh, uh, flying saucer movie with Christopher Lee in. Is there a Rift Tracks version? Yes, there is. <laughs> um, a, Colum a later Columbo episode called Rest in Peace, Mrs. Columbo. Don't worry, she doesn't die. Uh, Helen Shaver is the murderer in that. 
Uh, and again, don't worry about that. If you've seen Columbo, you know that knowing the identity of the murderer is not a problem. Mm-hmm. And she was in the out the revival Outer Limits episode, The Sand Kings. Oh shit! Yeah. With, um, one I, of the Jeffs. What? One of the guys from Stargate again? Oh fuck's sake! Isn't Jeff Bridges in that, or am I going insane? Uh, I think I am going insane. I didn't prepare enough to just look and see who was in what thing. I do think Sand Kings is written by George R. R. Martin, though. Yes. Uh, Or at least the teleplay for the um, thing is he was all over that series for some reason before I knew who the hell he was. Uh, We don't get to see much of Carolyn because she's immediately creeped out by the place and hides in the van and winds the window up. Mm. Uh, Jeff is here because, yeah, George needs to sign payroll checks for... Staff, they've got a they must have a surveying firm. The van says George yeah, Lutz, uh, chartered surveyors, right? Uh, this is sort of possibly like the first inkling we've had that George actually has a job, yeah. Um, um there is at the start he talks about using oh, the gardening hut as an office, so he's paying for office yeah. space elsewhere. Also, he talks about he, he actually must already have a boat moored at um, like a rented mooring, so those are outgoings that mm. he could recoup by. Yeah. Buying the house, but there's like there, there's yeah there's been no indication that he's actually like doing a job. Mm. <laughs> Again, I don't I, I don't want to be authoritative about the book, but I had a look to see there is certainly talk of like the business having trouble because of George's absence from it. Mm. I couldn't really find an analog for Carolyn, at least in my cursory glance. Uh, there's someone who ter- conveniently turns out to be a some kind of empath and spirit medium out of nowhere. Yeah. But there we go. Um, Amy's uh, school teaching her dolls. <laughs> Don't be a smartass, yeah. Janet, or whatever it was. And her, her two brothers are dangling a rubber spider off a fishing rod yeah. into her hair. Uh, yeah, which doesn't really trouble her much. No. She's like, don't, don't, don't tease me. She could stand somewhere else, but why should she? Yeah. Uh, also, we're going to see that rubber spider again in Amateurville Exorcism, <laughs> where I think there is at least a, a shot of a real spider and then someone eating a very obviously fake rubber spider. So I uh, look forward to that. I know I am. Yeah. So, um, oh, uh, Kathy's got that porcelain line again. She's moving it about. That's weird, isn't it? Cool. Uh, she just brings, yeah, she brings it into the upstairs, into the fly room. Oh, I, I didn't notice she was carrying it. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is because you're immediately distracted by Greg getting his hand mauled by a window. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's some amazing editing where uh, Jeff and George are in the room, or they, they run towards, but then they're there. It's very. <laughs> It doesn't feel bad. It's when you're looking at the film a bit by bit, like yeah. I was. You go, "Oh man, they really sped things up in editing." But that's that's when you realise what editing can do can make things like that that are illogical make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, is it is it supposed to be kind of Jody protecting oh, like Amy God. or something? And it's maybe like... Jody does seem to love opening and closing windows. Yeah, it's like or uh, making a bunch of flies make a window impossible to open. Uh, just like a little payback for teasing Amy. Well, it worked because <laughs> I do it, and then they they speed things up even further in the editing by having the kid being brought out of the hospital, and then he's immediately uh, back in bed at night. That's what the editing is. 
Yeah. And they're amazed that he, uh, they can't get over him not having any broken bones in his hand, despite that not really being enough to break bones in a hand. Particularly in a child's hand, because they're pretty still pretty rubbery. Yeah, and it's like not a heavy window. No. Uh, but this is the thing that keeps Kathy up at night. Yes. <laughs> demanding to talk to George. It's like, oh, it's too weird. Talk to me. Like, George doesn't seem to have slept properly for <laughs> about ten days at Let this point. the man have a nap. Wake up, George! Oh, but turns out George is awake. He just doesn't give a toss. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Oh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> oh, never mind. It doesn't matter because later on it's Dale Cooper o'clock. <laughs> George's up and about chasing buzzing sounds throughout the house. Those ghost flies. Oh, yeah. I talked about earlier. Turns out they are coming from the designated fly room. <laughs> Possibly attracted by the boxed barbecue turbo oven that's in there. <laughs> George fights through the flies. It can't, yeah. Open the window. He can't. It does seem to have a detrimental effect on the doors. Um, in the, like, the basement door opens and the front door blasts off its hinges in a, a spectacular way. Yeah. That basement door doesn't. They do not establish which door that is. No, it's not clear. It's like just a close up shot of the door, so you don't see the context of where it is in the house. Yeah, and nor does um, it cause any damage to the door frame. No. Or. Uh, and it certainly hasn't got the we couldn't think of the name of it but the bit in a door that goes the, the metal bit that goes in and out and yeah, holds the bit, a door the, in the place bits that, like retracted when you turn yeah. the handle the thing that would damage a yeah. door if you kicked it open mm. from the inside hasn't got one of those mm. so who knows um, this seems a good enough place to mention it the, all of the damage that's done to the house throughout this and in fact in the book uh, the next people to move straight into the house nothing broken <laughs> No fixture damage whatsoever. Oh. Place was fine. It was still just full of the furniture, right. including obviously some of it was defective furniture because mm. that was bought in as a job lot as well. So yeah, any destruction of the house didn't oh. actually occur. What about the ball that kept coming off the uh, staircase? The finial. There is ah, no. Uh, there's the no uh, talk of the finial. Oh. I don't know if that was another erectile dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, that is a good one. It's a fixer-upper, and he just like mm. knocks the thing off immediately. The banister knob, if you prefer. Um, but they really hang off of that to the, exactly the right moment again. With the thing, it's good. Uh, and also, at other points in the film, completely changes design. <laughs> so, never mind. Spooky. Uh. Uh, yeah, uh, the flies are perhaps disturbed by the door exploding off of a building, so uh, they bugger off. Uh, this is where the police attend. They police attend in the book as well. Do you know what didn't happen in reality? Oh, <laughs> the police. police! No, they never called the police. Oh, there is there is no evidence or no it's, record of. I suppose of if the there was no actual damage to the door, there was nothing to call the police about. Um, just like well, we've got to call the police about this disturbance or whatever. Oh, I mean that's the thing if. I don't believe this stuff happens, but if I was in a house where weird shit was breaking, I might call the police, but I wouldn't expect them to know what to do about it. Yeah. I might at least want them as very, very professional witnesses who could make a, a note of thing and maybe get some pictures taken mm. or something. That is a reason why you might want to have them. Uh, but they didn't do that. Don't know why. Who knows? Uh, but this is where we get the return of Schlubby DeFeo Murder Cop. I don't know his name. I call him Sarge. Uh, yeah, I think he's referred to as Sarge. Um, 
uh, yeah, the, the, the one that I only recognise because he gets his cigar out. Hooray for cigars and your <laughs> weird inability to... <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, You're never usually that rude about it. No, um, that's true. Um, so I talked about your tits earlier. We're, just, <laughs> we're through the looking glass now. The looking glass that's covered in a horrible marble effect. Um... <laughs> I did talk about my own tits as well. It's a balance. Um, (laughs) So um, even before he says anything, he does when he first sees George. It's a it's another bit of face acting again because he's taken aback by his presence. We learn later that George is meant to look staggeringly like uh, Ron DeFeo. Let's find out about that later on. Uh, Harry is very interested in the basement wall. Harry the dog. Harry the dog. Uh, yeah, scratching away there, and um, George, at this point, I think loses when they're going to investigate the basement, mm. um, see if any of the windows have been broken there, and it's like there's, you know, the the point in a film where someone who's kind of going bad uh, <laughs> loses those last few like audience members who were kind of had any sort of empathy or mm. sympathy. Uh, with them and I think this scene is probably like that point for a lot of people hmm. because George shouts at the dog well you're not you're not going to like the 2005 version then uh no <laughs> no I didn't because it was a bit shit well no, that's true <laughs> I mean you're not wrong we'll, we'll, we'll get there mm. I, I, I know I, I don't necessarily always want to be referring ahead but there we go um it's an, we, I, all of these begin with like the next day it's like a sketch next day next yeah. day well like we've got 28 days to get through so who knows I don't think we actually do the full 28 in the movie by the way but uh, never mind Kathy talks to Amy about Jodie we learned that Jodie oh, is oh we're not going to talk about Jodie <laughs> that had to happen eventually <laughs> oh terrible payoff oh it, it, an ancient spirit called Jodie Thanks, uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Grand. Um, such a perplexing uh, third series. That mm-hmm. I, I still don't hate it, but I don't really love it all that much either. <laughs> Never mind. I enjoyed it, though, um, uh, for what it's worth. Mm. Uh, you know, I was worried about supernatural people writing in, but no, we're going to fucking get David Lynch people writing in. <laughs> they are worse. They are the absolute worst. Oh, good grief. Mail at Amityville, calamityville.com. <laughs> um, we learn uh, that Jodie is nice. She's not big or tall. She's nice. nice. Uh, so it's really well delivered, just tiny little line by the, the kid there. Yeah, Amy, she's creepy. Yes. I don't talk about the. Yeah, the, this is not the name of the lots of his kids. They were, I think, Daniel, Christopher, and Missy, or Melissa. Doesn't matter, but. Um, Quite wisely, they went with their uh, fake names. Mm-hmm. But the thing, especially since like their the surname is Lutz now, they, you know, they took his surname and they still use it, and they still exist in the world. So I can see how they would want to try and protect them. Yeah. Also, maybe not like putting a bizarre, almost, almost certainly hoax story out into the world. But hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me of Falcon Heaney, the balloon boy. 
It was the kid who was apparently went off in a in a sort of weird balloon craft and things like that. Oh, our son's missing. He was in his balloon. He, went, he was in the loft. He was in the attic of their house. Oh. And like he accidentally said something during a during a, like a television interview. So like, but you told me like they would hide in the attic. So there was, it was a family trying to create just a, a media story oh. about their missing son who was later recovered from his yeah. balloon adventure. Uh, and it means that anyone in the future will looking to employ Falcon Heen, he will uh, Google him and find this crazy story about his life. So I'm, basically I hope he can spin it to be an entertaining anecdote rather mm-hmm. than a pure horror he uh, exists with. But there we go. Um, Amy says about how Jodie tells her about the boy who lived in the room uh, who died. And like, kids actually do come out with shit like this oh, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Like Once they know what death is and they get the idea that people may have lived in a place before... Sometimes death is what they think of as why someone would leave the place. Ah, oh, they died. Yeah. So, but um, she prefigures The Shining. <laughs> so yeah, he wants to live there forever and forever. ever. So, yeah, there's George is going to prefigure The Shining later on as well, specifically the movie version. Yes. You could say they must have read the book. No, the book's the book's a bit <laughs> different. It's where George gets on his previously unseen Yamaha motorbike. Oh yeah. And we we're reminded that you didn't have to wear crash helmets back in the day, which is uh, kind of mad now. It's a bit like when you see people smoking in pubs. Go, yeah, you used to be able to do that. That's yeah. very strange now. Even though it was my experience for actual decades, I remember that being a thing people could do. Yeah, and now it, was, it seems very odd. Yeah, something I'd experienced in my lifetime as well. Yes, I'd done it. <laughs> I'm sure you had too. And it was yeah, it was. Weird, because I actually, I remember um, the ban had been enforced in Scotland before it was in England. Yes. And um, when, so I got I got used to it in Scotland first, and then when I moved to Canterbury to go to university, it hadn't kicked in yet. Yeah. And then there was like people smoking inside the student bar again. I was like, but no, we've, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a bit weird. Um, I used to watch a programme, it was a repeat from a show from the 70s called Follyfoot. It was set on a farm, had one of the all-time great theme tunes, sort of folk rock number from the settlers called The Lightning Tree. Fantastic song. Um, And everyone that had a character who would ride a motorbike without a helmet because it had been filmed before. Mm -hmm. And every episode, continuity announcer at the start had to explain that it was a show that had been made before it became required by law to wear a crash helmet while riding a motorbike. (laughs) So that kids presumably wouldn't then copy it because they'd seen it on telly. Mm. But then they didn't sing the lightning tree either. I don't know. Mm. Where did the, you didn't have? Where's this bike? You didn't have it. Why is it here? Could you not sell it for a few hundred bucks? Who knows? I don't know where Kathy sends the kids, but I hadn't noticed that this is where they're properly fixing the door. You spotted that? Yeah, it's it's just like kind of half off screen mm. like out of focus like someone is screwing something back to the door so they're actually fixing that but it's it's a sort of weird half scene where it does feel like there was maybe more to mm. it that just got cut and there is a lot of that in this yes there's also the feeling that the book was such a bestseller that 
people have probably read it. Yeah. And then they were going to see the film version, so there's stuff they didn't have to explain. There's going to be more of that as time goes yeah, on. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like there's kind of assumed pre-knowledge mm. of, of the situation. And I think, yeah, the film really could have benefited from someone who had never heard of the book. <laughs> Going through it and checking and being like, the fuck does this mean? What's going on? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> anyway, George's adventure is that he's going to go to the town hall for what I actually know is him looking for the house blueprints. Uh, it, yeah, and that's something that they just sort of didn't bother correct. putting in the film. Because he, he does show up with a thing and they're going, oh yeah, okay, those yeah. are the blueprints. He just stomps out of a building with a tube. Yeah, then he, <laughs> then he goes to steal a, a, a mysterious book from the library. And if he just stole the only book on the supernatural he could find, but it was a it was a good it was a canny lift. Yeah, yeah. Also, that's a library, George. Yeah, you join the library and get it. Or the do they books have a, for free? Did they have a, a like an adjoining fee? Maybe. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. Maybe it is just easier to stick a book down your pants. <laughs> but it is. Oh yeah, the the library scene opens on that really cool illustration of a fly. It's I, so good. I really like, and it's 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 like just this illustration that's on the side of some bookshelves. Mm. Um, but then that same illustration turns out to be in the book that he nicked. Yeah, so it should be fairly easy to find out what it is. Mm. So that would be quite good. But yeah. yeah, it's nice just to have the the fly uh, motif. Yeah. So uh, um, at home, Kathy calls Father Delaney, and one hour fourteen minutes into the film, <laughs> they finally have some kind of direct contact, <laughs> uh, but not for long. No, because <laughs> the phone goes bonkers again. Like mine, my phone is also spooky and haunted. <laughs> so, um, <ooh. laughs> yeah, um, like, yeah, yeah. Delaney's like, yes, you must listen to what I have to say, yeah. and then it's just. <laughs> Yeah, but then he breaks down. She gets all teary. They're both extremely good. Mm. She does. She, I do joke about this rather than Superman, uh, but she does. She does get meatier stuff here to do. Not that like, like comedic stuff is an easier thing. Yeah, or anything. She's tremendous in in, in both roles. She's really good in Black Christmas as well. She's a real just a real sod. <laughs> I don't know how well you remember. Um. My memory is somewhat limited. That's fine. We'll watch it again at Christmas. Yay! Hooray! Um, so yes, this is uh, where both the score and, ele- <laughs> and an electric fan and an apparent vagrant with a six-pack of Miller kind of uh, bother Kathy. Yeah, it just turns up to the door. Like, we wanted to welcome you to the neighbourhood. <laughs> yeah. He's just... bo- I mean, he bought booze. He's not trying to crack onto your champagne boxes um, yeah. I know there's probably just stuff in the boxes but it's <laughs> funny to think of them just having boxes of champagne and brandy yeah and he's like oh we have money worries maybe stop spending so much on booze George whereas actually what it is is great set design because people yeah when they're moving get boxes from places mm. whereas it, I think a, a less good film would just have completely plain boxes throughout the whole thing it's actually surprisingly believable. Yeah. Uh, so that's the... Uh, like, yeah, she answers the phone again and the, gives the vagrant chance to disappear. I think he just lives in the boathouse now. <laughs> like, whoop, took your eye off him. Um, in the Hoboathouse. Uh, yes, oh, in no. Hoboken. <laughs> uh, so George goes to the uh, Witch's Brew Par 
uh, as he does in the book. Guess what? Did he in real life? Uh, there's no witches' brew. <laughs> Uh, I know you again with the, like with the kids maybe you just want to change the name of the situation I don't think it's bad to necessarily name a local business why would you again mm. if you are trying to sell this verisimilitude maybe Jay Anson didn't know the name of, of a local bar so he just invented one but he could probably find out yeah so anyway there's no witches brew bar there's a place mm. called Harry's Remember I said where DeFeo went to a bar and said, like, hey, my, thing, my parents have been shot. Yeah. That's Harry's bar. That's the right. one he went to. Uh, you'll, you'll recall later the bartender says he was arrested here in this very bar. No, no. no and he wasn't arrested at Harry's either. He was arrested <laughs> at the police station after they kind of worked out he'd done it. Because his story didn't make any sense. Mm. Um... George's wild hair fits right into this place. Everyone, the, the oh yeah, you only get a couple of people, but they look terrible. There's some the the some weirdos in in this bar. Some proper weirdos yeah. with the McSawley's uh, soft. Um, uh, I've written. Uh, yes, he's there to meet Jeff. He's. Um, I'm going to get better at reading. Uh, synopses out as these episodes go on as well. Not least because I'm going to be writing less and remembering more. Um, so yes we see Jeff here's where he starts the bartender again there's apparent resemblance to DeFeo uh, we should probably talk about that now as to whether in reality George Lutz looks like Ronald DeFeo and you with the face blindness actually don't think he does uh, so much no I think it's just the sort of similar haircuts or a kind of style that they're fond it's like this kind of slight side swooping 70s thing and they both got facial hair I don't know how rough a decade it was as well because Ron DeFeo is 23 and George Lutz is 32 Ah. uh, during the events of this but he's got that sort of slightly thing in the past where people look older than we think of them now um but I think, as you suggest, the the beard and the hairdo do a lot of um, heavy lifting mm-hmm. work in terms of them looking like each other. Um, except not in this, because there is no actor credited or, in fact, uncredited for Ronald DeFeo. Uh, despite, so we we see him sort of briefly at the start. We see him in the newspaper later on, and we see him <laughs> in a bit that I'm going to talk about at length elsewhere. Uh, and I thought, who have they got who looks a bit like James Brolin? It's I think just James it's, Brolin. it's just James Brolin being him. It's very weird. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, business ain't going well. They do this man thing that happens in films where one punches another and the other's like, well, there we go. Now that's out of the way. Yeah, now let's, let's have, have a conversation. A conversation. <laughs> so I've, I've never had a conversation <laughs> like that with another man or indeed another woman. Mm. Uh. But then George seems perfectly happy to talk about all this stuff and just, like, tell them what's been going on. Yeah. That's well, like, it's, I suppose at some point you've got to talk to yeah. someone. And he, he's just lucky that um, that Jeff's wife is really into this yeah. business. Before that, we get um, uh, Amy singing about Jesus' love for her. Oh, yeah. Um, the song Jesus Loves Me. Um, this which, I know. Yeah, I'd never paid attention to the lyrics before, really. And, oh man, that is creepy! And it was, it was a solo child singing it to a, hey. an empty yeah. rocking chair that is rocking. Yeah. It, it, it was not immediately obvious to me that Kathy hadn't seen the uh, the chair rocking by itself. 
is the angle because she seems to like look slightly surprised before she comes through the door but um nope mm. <laughs> that doesn't happen uh, <clears throat> uh Jodie doesn't like Kathy coming in she was scared she went out of the window and the window is open. Window is open again. And uh, yeah, <laughs> something happens here. In the Kathy goes up to the window. Oh, and yes. there's actually a, it does actually sound like a little oink noise outside, and we get um, it's just weird glowing eyes in the darkness. Weird glowing eyes, a bit like the um, video effect from the end of the stone tape. <laughs> yeah, look that one up, folks. Um, <laughs> So um, that's that. It, that's actually quite a good little scare. I like that one. Mm-hmm. It's it's stupid, but once you've once you've gone into the zone, you're there. Um, George is showing off his stolen book. Yes, we see the fly. We see the. Um, I had a book about werewolves, which <laughs> I got from Nunhead Library. Ah, uh, and that was full of. Did you put it down your pants as well? Like... No, <laughs> it was a large book, and I was a small child. <laughs> Also, I was a member of the library. <laughs> Although, I would have gone probably from the Nunhead Cemetery to my to my house by bicycle. And I have an idea that I might have put the book down my jumper <laughs> to hold it in place uh. while riding the bike home. Because I remember doing that with things because there was no other way to do it. I suppose I could have bought a bag. Well, but, see, what, uh, I, what I did when cycling to and from the library as a child is just like, I had them in like a supermarket bag and they mm. just went over one handlebar, uh, which was like really fucking unsafe because yeah. it sort of unbalances the bike. It does, and sometimes if the thing is long, you can get tangled in the front wheel yeah. and stuff like that. It's not good, but never mind. Uh, <clears throat> So anyway, yeah, there's, there's a werewolf picture in it, which is actually just a really dishevelled man on all fours, just eating babies. Yeah. Like, that was one of the one of the pictures from this book. <laughs> I remember showing up with this. <laughs> I was very surprised. Um, so she finds just immediately this stuff about the Ketchum House. Uh, this sort of is in the book, um, but they the name is spelt differently. Or rather, they, they offer some specific spellings for the name, which yeah. isn't like this one. This one is literally as in Ash Ketchum, Ash Ketchum. from um, Pokemon. Yeah, but it's it's weird. She just sort of talks about this dude who mm. was... It's history! It's history! He was expelled from Salem for being a witch. This and... is the 1979 equivalent of a, a later movie where you'd Google... Amityville stuff weird yeah. and then like the top result would be all of the information you needed and some pictures mm. and um, it's like what does she which say? I it's think like... uh, by the way that's something that happens in the like the Da Vinci Code movie oh, gosh. whereas in the book is obviously about pouring over these ancient tomes for things mm. like they just google something <laughs> on, I think on a smartphone and go aha this is where we need to go oh Thanks. no terrifying um, so she does the equivalent of that, yeah, of just landing on the right page and seemingly immediately being able to rattle, rattle off all the stuff about this guy. Yeah, but was... I just, I don't. It wasn't really clear how that was connected. Whether she eventually figured out that what did he build his house on that land? Gotta be. It's not the same house. No, it's just a sort of a cabin. Mm. And it's uh, and it's weird because later on she's talking about the Shinnecock Indians as well. So we'll get into that. Yeah. As well, um, like. 
the 2005 one really runs with this Ketchum thing. Oh, right. Uh, as you might recall. But, um, yeah, so he's run out of Salem as a witch. I don't know if many men were thought of as witches in those particular trials. I'm sure maybe they got round to him eventually. Mm. Once they run out of women to kill. One day we will record a podcast in this room that isn't about witch <laughs> By the way, this is our second one. Yes. Uh, uh, the first one has not yet been uh, released. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that absolutely I know for a fact that they didn't. And the, the fact they do still call him a witch. Because that used to be very gendered when I was young with witches and warlocks. Yeah. Um... So it's odd to see it here. But yeah, oh, it's proper satanic panic stuff. We're going to get a lot of this again. Oh, he did satanic rituals and in in the place where the house now stands? Like, specifically on the road? And then we get the, uh, the justification of paranormal activity via the use of the first law of thermodynamics. Oh, yes. Um, the energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change form. Yeah. So I mean, explain that, science... Well, I mean, that is true, but, like, there's no energy involved in any of this bollocks that she's talking about. But, like, surely, what what energy animates the human body, the, the animus within, the spirit, the soul? Where can that go? It can't be created or destroyed. It must simply change form. No, it doesn't exist. Oh, no, but, like, how does the body move around, then? Um, well, it's frustrating, it's, isn't it? It's biochemical and electrical impulses. Um, um, the th- I, I, I did. Mean, your body is a meat machine. Mm. <laughs> I don't do it now. I did actively investigate paranormal stuff for a short while and met some people. And boy, will you hear some balls! Mm. And they love this thermodynamics thing. This is absolutely yeah. very far from the only time I've heard it. Yeah. A lot of them love quantum stuff as well. Ah, try me. Um, or just uh, it's maybe more with the kind of crystal side of things, uh, quantum uh, energy and waves and healing and balls. Mm. It's, it's, no, it's that's completely wrong. <sighs> Good lord. So after Jeff yells at Carolyn for no real reason, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's that's just what marriages were like at the time. So they have the plan. (laughs) My notes say Carolyn and Jeff have a very healthy marriage. I've got Jeff and Carolyn's marriage seems great. (laughs) Hey, give me five. Hey. Um, my marriage, by the way, of my wife is in the room next door, working, working to bring money into the place. Uh, like just sitting on the bed, operating a laptop and doing her job while I'm in here recording the podcast. So I am not one to fucking talk. Um, so right, they have the plan. Uh, George and Kathy get out of the house for a bit, for a couple of hours. Don't know what it will do for them, but I guess they'll be just be away from the influence of the house. Mm-hmm. Being away from the influence of the house doesn't really seem to have helped George all that much anyway. He's still he's all, he's all fucked yeah, up if he's like at the bar and things like that. Still weird there. Then... Yeah. But anyway, they, the possibly non-existent couple offer to um, babysit the kids so they can go out. Yeah, which is weird, Jeff, offering to do that, considering last time his wife wouldn't go near the fucking house. It is odd, and she doesn't seem to uh, raise it as a problem either. Totally but I guess he would uh, yell at them. Like, I mean, it does come up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they go back, George goes inside, Carolyn 
as becoming increasingly obvious is a conveniently some kind of powerful empath, the spirit medium. Yes, reminding me a bit um, as she goes on of uh, Nadine from Paranormal <laughs> Home Inspectors. <laughs> you did describe her reaction to the house in a very particular oh, way. Oh yes, which well, is yeah, Caroline who was previously creeped out of it uh, out by the house you know it seems almost sexually aroused by the evil presence and I certainly hadn't thought about it that way until she was like this just (sighs) odd gasping reaction where she's like oh I've got to go to the basement it's like something about the vibes as well oh the vibe the vibe is strong yeah um uh, talk, talk of Nadine, the paranormal home inspectors. Oh gosh, what was her her title? I can't remember because there were there were two of them, and one of them was one of them was a researcher. Well, yeah, they were basically. Mm-hmm. Should we quickly explain the series? Which yes. was uh, you you've seen it before. Oh, my house is haunted. I'm going to call in some experts, and normally they call in a ghost hunting team. Um, invariably, if you call in a ghost hunting team, they're going to find ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, however, I do know some sceptical ghost hunting teams, and if you call them in, you're invariably going to find not ghosts. Uh, and they will have a, a rational explanation for everything that happens. Paranormal Home Inspectors is a kind of mishmash of these two concepts. Yeah, in it the- brings in the actual believers. I'd say two of them are. Two the of them, particularly, of- although one is. She does suggest she's more of a kind of. Uh, approach seems to be as a kind of a local historian looking into weird things that might have happened on that site in the past yeah just like find out if someone has ever died within Mm. a 10 mile radius yeah there's there's Nadine who you spoke of who's a a spiritualist medium Uh, I can't remember she's got a fancy name for herself but there's also a man called Brian Brian is a home inspector he's amazing yes Uh, he's he is the main draw of the show in that he goes into a house and fully explains everything that happens. Your door swings open because it's hung at a weird angle. You were locked in this bathroom that hasn't got a lock on the door because, because there is a lock, a on, the door. lock on the it's door. It's right here in the doorway. <laughs> this um oh you feel a weird chill in this stairwell. This stairwell is like in the exter- at the exterior of the building with no heating in it. Like you get up to the rest yes. of the house and it's cold there. The electrics are weird. The electrics are weird every time a tram goes past outside. Also, the wiring hasn't been, you know, updated since, like, the 60s. Yeah. And, oh, the the cups and plates rattle and sometimes fall off the thing because you're right next to a train line. Mm. And, yeah, you sometimes get these strange shadows in your living room because it's got massive windows and, and you're right past. next to a road. My friend was like, we get, we get the smell of people smoking. These people smoke. They're smoking yes, downstairs. The smoking it wafts in the basement. Up upwards. Almost everyone has got a cat or a dog or kids yeah. you don't see. Um, and stuff moves around. Look, look, this dog toy yeah. suddenly appeared over here the next day. Amazing. Uh, so the whole show should be Brian, yeah. but it isn't. He comes in and debunks everything. And then two more people come in and, as I've often said, rebunk yes. everything. And because they make the, I think... They're absolutely conscious choice and wrong choice of sending Brian in first. Yeah. They, they sort of show the homeowners their collected evidence and mm. they they sort of very quickly 
uh, just sort of run through what Brian has phoned, mm. and then they'll be like just laying on the emotion for yeah. like, their findings. It turns out, yeah, to, what they actually want to hear is someone who, you know, I understand you you miss this person you love very much who's no longer alive. The one with the spirit medium where they go into, we won't tell you anything about the thing, they go into the bedroom of a murdered girl and there's like pictures of her and candles and things like that and she's like yes. I'm getting a very feminine energy in this yeah. room someone who perhaps taken before their time like, fucking Jesus um, I don't know if you ever told you that there's a there's a re-edit of that show called Help My House Is Haunted that totally takes out a Oh, Brian. Yes. Yeah. It's the same show, but Brian's not in it. Oh. It's all it's all bunk with no D or re. It's <laughs> fully bunk. Uh, the other thing about what is her name again? You mentioned her name, the, the medium. This how we got onto this. Oh, Nadine. Nadine. Yeah. Uh, she's no longer alive. Oh. She has since died. Oh. That's sad. I don't. You know. Obviously, people die. It's got to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't all that old. I don't know what she died of. She's not alive anymore. Is or at least has at some point has there been a video on YouTube of another person at home trying to contact Nadine in the afterlife unsuccessfully as spirit medium? Yes, because I watched that video. Oh, quite. Paranormal Home Inspectors, cheers! Tink. <laughs> um Yeah, it, it's Caroline totally channeled uh Nadine when she was uh, yeah, this this how she wouldn't enter before, and now she's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm getting horny for some evil basement action. Uh, getting horny now. <laughs> what is up with you? <laughs> I don't know. Right, and here we get the other end of the uh, cat jump scare. It just cuts straight to Kathy going, what I saw was not a cat. Yes. So we, we know we've already had George go, no, I had a cat jump mm. up the window earlier. It made me, you know, made me yeah. leap out of my skin. We but go. we don't need that. We just have the other end of it. It's great. Also reminds me of the time I should have been scared by a, a, a cat jumping up at a window when I was watching a horror movie. I must have told you this. I was watching a, I was watching a horror film at about 1.30 in the morning in the dark in Hendon. Uh, there were feral cats who lived in the gardens. Mm. And at one point, during quite a tense bit of the film, supposedly, one of them jumped up at the fence that, that separated the house from next door, and it was <laughs> loud noise. Mm. Nothing. I didn't jump, I didn't react. And that's when I kind of realised the film I was watching was bored. <laughs> and that film was The Messengers, directed by Danny and Oxide Pang. So some people do like The Messengers, but um, that's when I realised I wasn't I wasn't happening. Mm. Happened. Um, so uh, Carolyn leads Jeff down to the basement do you remember what it was she said here because I wrote it down um, she's continuing oh, to be an amateur demonologist oh she's talking about uh, like demons are intelligent and yes uh, are you ready oh it was something where, like they think and stuff but it's reverse yes you're doing well alright oh, I've got it are you ready yeah they think just like you and I do just in reverse you know it's a closed system. <laughs> what? Even Jeff is like, what are you talking about, honey? Uh, this is when she like... starts talking about the obligatory native uh, tribe, the yeah. Shinnecocks, because you've always got to have... Oh, yeah. Uh, this, in the book, comes from like a historical society of Amityville that they contact and go, oh, yeah, the Shinnecocks on, the, oh, right. on this land. Uh, also, native leaders like, nope. 
you know, they were they were they were sort of in the area further up the coast. They certainly didn't, as you say, have a, what did they call it? An exposure, exposure pen. pen. Which is what uh, we take the people who are suffering from mental illness and just sort of keep them out out of the out in the open or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, certainly not any kind of like First Nations practice I have heard of. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's I as mean, simple the, as yeah, the historical invading society. European colonials. Sure, they did that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, here's where we get in, funnily enough, to the, the other woman from Paranormal Home Inspector, the history uh, yes. one. She was like, well, the the there was a boy who was hit by a train on the same tracks that passed by <laughs> the back of your house. Um, like five fucking miles away. Yeah. Meanwhile, why is your house shaking? There's train tracks running outside your house. Listen to Brian. Brian does his best. Yeah. Uh, they used to be on American Netflix. It isn't at the moment. Uh, I do have it all. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. It's, Although it's... I did find Help My House Is Haunted on on YouTube. That's that's there. Just the Brian on. Free Show. It is like taking George Lutz out of this. <laughs> Imagine. Instant upgrade. Except you don't get to look at a Jeff... <laughs> Jeff Brolin? James Brolin walking about in his... Tiny pants. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk we, about that. Actually, we did that talk was... extensively about his penile energy, but bursting <laughs> the door off its hinges. Yeah, but that was when we were watching the film. That's true. Not not uh, while recording. Yeah. But it was, yeah, when the um, the the bloody door gets blown off. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, he's yeah. That's when he's exhibiting the the flu symptoms of being current like too hot and too cold at the same time because he's wearing like a long sleeve pyjama top but um, uh, obviously his legs are mm. uh, just too hot because so he's just in his sort of slightly saggy tighty whiteies do you think unlike other situations where you're like oh I'm too hot I'm too cold it just like bisects yes. his body completely like, hot legs cold yeah. top <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't know. lose <laughs> Oh, well. um, it's where we catch up with what Harry's been doing, which is scratching at a wall and getting his paws all bloody and stuff. Mm, poor little poor Harry. Da- I mean, it's just a fucking fiberglass or something, isn't it? I don't know. But uh... yeah, I think I wrote down that those are some fake-ass-looking bricks. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not bricks, rocks, but still, yeah. But never mind. Um, Carolyn helped. <laughs> she takes it upon herself to vandalise the house. Is that a load-bearing wall? Who knows? Who knows? Better hope not. She really gets, but George joins them immediately. Why? What are you doing? Actually, no, never mind. I'm going to do that and take the task of busting down the wall. Uh, we have actually what begins as a really great image: the red room yes. that they find within, because it's so brightly coloured. Yeah. It's uh, this, this brightly sort of orange lit, like um, the sort of eye windows are at times uh, from from the exterior shot. Yeah. And it's really good. And then fucking spoiled. Yes. It turns into a 1940s horror film with this crossfade and a floating face boy. Yeah. Uh, presumably Ron DeFeo. But again, just James Brolin by yeah. the look of it. It's just some sort of phantasmal 
apparition of his face. Yeah, and obviously he's he's transparent, so like semi-transparent, so yeah. you can see through. So his face looks red. The texture of the bricks looks like horns. That's weird. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, I years ago, I couldn't find it again. Now years ago, I remember when I was first looking into Amityville beers. People who lived in the house before talked about how they had a closet under the stairs so that uh, they painted a bright red because mm. kids it was like kids play area and it was a nice fun colour and that's what they uncovered and a lot of people suggest it wasn't walled off in any way it was just a, a, a red closet that yeah. was under the stairs there again I can't absolutely confirm that but that does seem to be what more than a few people say yeah I'd read that there's um, apparently some interviews with uh, a girl who was like what friends with the DeFeo kids or yeah. something or, or used to play there and like she said that yeah it's just some sort of cupboard uh, you imagine like, it's like well, we kept the toys in there yeah. or whatever and it's just it's just fun mm-hmm. brightly coloured thing but yeah when the, when the rest of the place is so dour as, it, as an image in the food as the movie finding this mm. all red thing is quite something and it, they undercut it instantly yeah and then Helen Shaver, as Carolyn gets to go even more mental to pull in the big old face. And then find the well, it's the passage to hell. <laughs> so she's inventing, not inventing rap, but certainly pioneering it from her earlier funk yeah. situation. Pioneering horror rap. Yeah. Find the well, it's the passage to hell. And then she says, cover it, which I think is an instruction to us to cover that uh, yeah. song. <laughs> Find the well. It's the passage to hell. Find. Them. We had thought about doing songs at the end of the episode. Uh, I think that, that might have to be the extent of it. There. Who knows? Um, while this is going on, Father Delaney gets a prank phone call and reads too much into it. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, there's no one there. Oh God, I'm so depressed." This feels like it's nearly the end of the film, doesn't it? God, it's not. It's not. Fuck. Um, the dog, yeah, he really wanted to get through that wall. Now he really no, needs to like, be away from that wall. It's always the way. Yeah. We're uh, reminded, by the way, there's a police sergeant outside watching all this. Going, oh, yeah. I mean, he can't see what's happening. But also, there's no indication that he was there while, whenever, when people pulled up. And, yeah. And, and he sees them marching about because they, they, they do their blessing. And he's like, well, yeah, well you know, whatever's the, going on the, in there. Uh, they find that the crucifix on the wall, that yeah. one from uh, right at the beginning, is turned upside down, and it's kind of covered in black. Yeah, sort of. Stuff. So, no, weirdly, um, once that thing goes up, you go, "Oh, the, the house is going to invert that crucifix at some point," because uh, I've seen that done so many times. But the obviously it being blackened and stuff, mm. that is, I really liked. Yeah, as a, as an idea, and it's, it's nice kind of contrast to because of where they situated it, because of the light. And you know how it just kind of gleamed, mm. and then it's just this black thing. Um, but yeah, Jesus just taking an upside down nap for a while. <laughs> um, they uh, the Lutzes do say that they attempted a blessing on the house, which was uh, them stomping about with a cross, reciting the Lord's Prayer specifically. And I, I don't know if this was how it was done, but George says while it was happening, he heard a chorus of voices just going, "Will you stop?" I'm sure it's meant to be more, will you stop? <laughs> but it's like, we're just annoyed. <laughs> um, oh, and they go in, yeah, they're doing it, and the, they go into the fly room, and he, he drops it, we're not sure why, and it's because they've they got the blistery hands. Uh, yeah, the, the blistering, which is just 
done really poorly that you can't see it terribly well. Yes. And it's uh, not clear. And then she gets it on the face. And here we reach the existential lady nightmare of not being all that attractive. Oh, right. Because of a, a horrible facial blemish. <laughs> um, it just looks like she's put her foundation on a bit patchy. Yes. I mean, not that you can tell with that goddamn mirror. Oh, yeah. It was very hard to tell that anything was meant to be the problem whatsoever. Yeah, that bit I did have to like stop and rewind just to be like, what am I? What should I be seeing here? So um, we just leap about in times. So now we're back with Delaney and Bowden. They're they're having a kind of a big old pre. Yeah. Um... This again feels like an Exorcist thing, more an Exorcist three thing for some reason, but like. But again, a weird thing that I because I just don't know anything about the structure or of the the Catholic Church mm. or like who got who gets to wear what outfit. Because You're about Bowden's hood, aren't you? Yeah, Bowden. He's kind Bowden's of hood. dressed as a monk. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's weird because I thought monks and priests were separate things. Yeah. But I, I'm sure I read a thing that it's un- it would be unusual for him to wear a hood. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm a complete dunce regarding mm. Catholicism. I'm aware of that. Uh, it's fine. It, so yeah, they pray and the place goes mental. And they, yeah, the cracking angel face statue. It does. It really feels blatty esque. Anyway, I don't <laughs> know why. Um, I get weirded out by Christian horror, really specifically. And I don't know why. I think it's because if you deal with things like, let's just go with, say, Lovecraftian things, mm. you go, oh, someone has just written this to be as weird and creepy as possible. Whereas, Christian horror, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't follow a faith myself, but I've raised largely with the, the values of Christianity. It's the thing I understand the most. Uh, so it's kind of a normal everyday thing and it's presumably the idea of it is largely meant to be quite positive it's full of moral messages mm. and things like that and it's when you get someone like William Peter Blatty who knows what he's talking about with the stuff and will uncover the darkest weirdest shit that's in this bible that is you know that we use to demonstrate we're telling the truth in court and oh, things yeah. like that that's just the you know, I don't, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the hell stuff. But the notion of it, and treated very seriously and mm. put on screen in a way like this, like um, the TV series Apparitions we talked of, which is again an exorcist yes. facing demons, and I find that much more troubling, for instance, than an extremely similar series from the same writer called Ultraviolet, where mm. it's someone against vampires. Uh, because, again, vampires are just part of a thing where someone's going, oh, I'm going to write a scary story, possibly based on some stuff, some things that happened with people. Uh, Whenever, yeah, whenever something mines Christianity for the more horrific elements that are in part of it in the Bible, not horrific in the the way I generally think (coughs) of people using Christianity to hurt other people, just the the weirdest, grimmest, demony business. Mm. There's so much weird shit in there. And yeah, it, I think it it might be partially to do with the kind of things that are generally accepted as being fictional, mm. like vampires and like tentacly old mm. monster things. But then you get to this, but it's like there's a lot of people 
who for them that is all real. Hmm. Uh, I guess so, and it's it's why I have trouble with the 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 last little few statues of Carrie, where she gets home and it's got a super religious mother has filled the place with candles. Oh yeah, and she dies in that kind of Saint Sebastian pose and looks all beatific. Mm-hmm. And we remind we're reminded that Saint Sebastian is a thing that it's you know that there's iconography about, and that's part again of all this business. Mm-hmm. This saint like murdered with arrows, and. Oh god, it's all so weird. Yeah, and it ends with things saying Carrie White burns in hell. <laughs> I don't believe in hell. I'm not scared of hell, but if you mine it for imagery, mm. I'm there. Mm. Same with the uh, Millennium as well, the TV series oh, where it starts yes. treating the Bible stuff completely realistically and believably, but in a kind of modern world scenario. Fantastic mm-hmm. season two, particularly yeah. Millennium. Great. Also good. Uh, Terry O'Quinn again. Yes. Um, and we're going to get him in an Amityville film as well. Hey, uh, that will be spooky. That will be spooky mirror. Oh, oh right, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, is that that's? Uh, oh, tell you what, that's Amityville: A New Generation. Right. Oh God, I'm I'm going to be very. It's going to be hard for me to completely recall all of them eventually. Um, anyway, yeah, it's all going back. I don't think it's the intention. It really looks like the plaster angel's face. Hits Delaney in the face because it, it falls off and it cuts to him like, yeah. throwing his hands over his face and going, Ah! Then is I'm there blind. a shot of the same plaster angel afterwards that's kind of it's unblemished? Yes. So it kind of. Yeah. It so right, so it's supposed to have happened in his mind. Yes. And that's why, yeah, Father Bolland's looking kind of. Like, what the? Yeah, because he's, he's just like really overacting and doing the full. Um, Sergeant Howie. Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! Um, would Edward Woodward have been as good in this? I think he would have done. Yeah, woo woo woo. Iwa wooa. Why has he got so many deeps in his name? <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be Iwa wooa. It's <laughs> a great joke that is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's. I mean, obviously, this is hamtastic, but he still he, he still sells it to me mm. and you know the yeah the the loss of vision I'm, I'm blind yeah and just yeah that kind of fervent belief mm. and the, the kind of desperation of like something is so terrible and you kind of theoretically know how it can be battled yeah but that force is not responding in the way that you feel like it should. Like, I guess, you know, a priest trying to get God to make the demons fuck off. And it ain't happening. No. Um, I, especially with, like, that earlier conversation with the boss priests when he's saying, uh, the church is my home. Yes. And the church is my strength. Like, he has nothing else. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So... It's weird because he's obviously he's not a real man. <laughs> I'd like to be more explore this yeah. person more. We can't. There's nothing mm. more to know about him. Yeah. He exists solely in this thing. Um, it's that's the beauty of his performance. He's he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was aware of Rod Steiger and I have seen him in things, but I've never really paid attention to him. He's just one of those character actor names that's been there. Yeah. And like I mostly remember him from showing up very briefly as himself in the the animated series The Critic. When someone's on a, a tour of Hollywood star homes and he's outside with a tray of cookies, going, "Come on in, I've been baking all day." <laughs> Made him more New York than 
anything. Um, good lord. Uh, also, whenever there's a horror scene in a church, you have to have the sound of someone screaming while you look at statues that are just passively sitting mm. there. It's a good. It's a good image. Yeah. Right, um, I know I said I'd stop, but we go back and we find it's the 18th night. Oh, mm. God, 18th! They're meant to be 28 days here. The movie is beginning to drag. The mm-hmm. uh, podcast also getting kind of long at this point. Uh, it's Dale Cooper o'clock. George woken by a marching band. The sound of a marching band. Now, I talked to you about this earlier. Yeah, in the, in the film it's just drumming. Yeah. Um, in the book, it says marching band. Or I don't know what like, it says in the book, but what Lutz himself says, he sounded the sound alike a marching band tuning up. Yeah. And I don't know if he technically knows what he means, like if he's musical enough to. Because you don't really tune up like brass instruments, yeah. they are that tune, but maybe just queasy noisy. You tune drums. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a cacophonous, presumably non musical, yeah. like series of blots. Yeah. Whereas in this, yeah, it's a. <laughs> Thing and I hadn't Paul even realised Paul Blart, John Paul Blart, <laughs> hell is other mall cops. Not my joke, but uh, still a good one. And yeah, I didn't even realise that we did watch a, a brief video about the differences between various retellings of this story. I hadn't mm. even realised that because we have the bit yeah where George has yelled at people and he unrolls a rug, and of course realise that this is where he goes into a room and. He doesn't find the marching band he's expected to hear, but all the furniture has been moved away, like to the sides of the room, to accommodate said band. Yeah, and that is something I hadn't realised. I think I just sort of assumed the empty room was just they still hadn't unpacked properly, and this yeah. was a room they hadn't. Because I, I couldn't tell one room from another, and it's yeah. like, yeah, there was a fireplace, but maybe more than one room had a fireplace. Well, and in was... the mo- the movie house has got two chimneys on uh, each end of the house. The yeah. real house doesn't. <laughs> so uh, who knows? Um, this very trips over the ceramic dragon lion thing. I know I keep mentioning it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this is the movie's conception of it, which is very sort of more nearly used a word again. Um, let's say Chinese. Well, I'll just say Chinese. It's simple looking. It's more dragon esque. It's meant to be a ceramic lion. And apparently it would move around the house. Uh, in the book, George asked the kids if they were moving it. They said no, so that's... And we absolutely take their word for it. Absolutely, uh, that's clearly not the case. Um, yeah, and at one point George claims that he felt like... I think he fell over it and it bit him. Uh, it left teeth marks in it. And like, there's the bare bones of that notion in the film... But it's not there, and they like the lion does show up all over the place. Yeah. But you do see that Kathy carrying it. Yes, one thing. But yeah, George and does get an injury on his leg. Trips that looks over, like and yeah, we see that injury later. Marks. Um, but it's like, it, it again. It's one of those bits where it feels like they've either edited part of it out or only put in part of the actual event assuming that you would know the rest from the book mm. or something it's yeah it might be what you would now think of as an easter egg for those who've <laughs> yeah read the book um so let's just say up front that what follows next is a dream sequence so kathy wakes up mm-hmm. wanders into amy's room and sees a george standing over a murdered body with an axe uh, and then he steps up and buries that axe in her own head, uh, which wakes her up from the nightmare. And this 
is the first bit of this film I ever saw <laughs> as a child when um, I was I, I was I don't know what age I was but I couldn't sleep and I went downstairs and my mum was watching this uh, I, I know it was the amateur horror I don't know why I know it was the amateur horror I think it must have been on ITV and it went to a commercial break and uh, they used to have yeah. captions because I think I remember seeing the title and the house mm-hmm. um, but it was this bit I hadn't seen many horror films and I remember I so I didn't know how they worked but I liked the idea that you could do this bit where you have the axe go in the head and then it cuts away instantly mm-hmm. like it's not a big gory mess it, but it's a scary yeah. jolt and I remembered that for decades <laughs> before I actually saw the film and saw mm-hmm. what had happened there so it's, it's just odd to think that I saw this in the it would have been in somewhere in the 1980s and I certainly would have seen the title because I would have heard the title it's just like the amateur horror it's mm. a well known title so and Kathy wakes up George is, is in bed he's not there and my thought was it was actually his dream <laughs> she just wakes up because the lightning is like mm, murder oh, that's <laughs> Lovely, lovely murder dreams. Also, yeah, they um heavily uh, prominently featured facial blistering. No, it's gone. Oh yeah. Fine. Remember the, the Delaney's hands were like ruined forever. But um fine. Yeah. Like some of these things are um you know, things that actually happen or or sort of, you know, within the film's reality actually mm. happen, or things that people just hallucinate mm. and I'm going to make a moment here where I'm going to apologise to the listener because um, I've been writing music beds to go under this, uh, to go under the episodes. They're and really I great. I, I have enjoyed doing them. Uh, and, th- and the idea was eventually I would have enough to uh, cover the length of an episode, but I thought I probably wouldn't have for the first episode. I've had a look at how long we're recording. I'm really not <laughs> going to have enough. So there's going to be repetition. Right. And I apologise for that repetition. Have we... Oh, we have definitely gone longer than the film. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we're telling all the stuff that happens in the film very slowly. <laughs> um, we're, it's the first episode, guys. We're going to refine it as we go along. Yep. Or are we? Are we going to long ones like the Halloweenies episodes about Halloween and then later the Nightmare on Elm Street films? Who knows? We will be as smug. I, I really don't think we can manage an episode this long about... Uh... The Papa John's one, <laughs> the sixty-five minute, sixty-five one, minute one, yeah. With the eight minutes of credits. <laughs> we could read all the credits out at the rate at which they appear on the screen. Um, let's talk more about that when it happens. Um, so, next day's more of the same. George's having a full-on Arthur Fowler. I think this is where I'm. I'm coming apart. Yeah. Is that? Oh, he's misquoting Rebel Without a Cause. <laughs> And he's putting wood on the fire because, of course, he's George. He's snapping at Kathy and punching her in the face. I don't think that's supernatural. That's just how marriages were at the time. Ah, oh, the 1970s. <sighs> Good lord. Uh, Kathy finally just goes to see Delaney. And she can't because he's not there. He's on vacation. The Is sergeant this... looking at the house, the man who doesn't exist, by the way, he's created again for this narrative, follows her... To like the I the the place, <laughs> not a rectory. The the, the, the priest the, place. The priest house. Yeah. And then stays there. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't follow her back again. He just decides to follow the priest instead. Follows a under, the under, undercover Bolan. Yeah. 
Um, oh, we did we have we passed the bit where the nuns playing basketball? Uh, we uh, we have. I didn't mention the nun playing basketball. I really should have done. I just I really love the visual. Um, it's just something that's sort of happening in the background. Yeah. It's a nun playing basketball with a load of what teenagers or something. Yeah, I think they may be preteens. Yeah, I made a shit joke. Oh, when we were I, watching I, it, I, I liked it. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> we'll keep it to ourselves. Silence. <laughs> it wasn't offensive. It was just bad. <laughs> I just want to make that clear that yes. I'm saying I'm not saying it. Not not saying it because of that. <laughs> good lord. Um, I've got to get you home. <laughs> Um, right, so, yeah, Boland goes off to see Delaney. If he is on holiday, he's on holiday in a park. I think it's meant to be some kind of convers- convalescence facility, yeah, maybe? Yeah, there, there's like a Jesus statue or something. You could just wander in. Yeah. Uh, it's a very nice place, anyway. Yeah. It looks like uh, what Central Park might be, if that were nicer and smaller. Uh, but also quite dangerous for... Um... I'm a blind man, you're, you're right. I yeah, just realised. A newly blind a man. A newly blind man who will not have experience of like navigating places by himself. Um, there's just a fucking pond there with no <laughs> railing or anything. Good lord. Right. Good luck, Father. So yeah, Bonan goes to see Delaney, offers to read him his mail. Like... <laughs> Delaney is trying his best to be in the film as little as possible. At this point, they've had all the acting. They couldn't put any more in the... Yeah, it's, it's Rod Steiger's just run out of acting juice. In the, uh, as I said, the Steiger counter. <laughs> put another couple of, put another quarter in the meter, and he just... <laughs> I'm blind! Um, <laughs> Stick another dime in the priest now, baby! Yeah, so Bowden gets nothing. <laughs> Bowden, Bolan gets nothing. He heads off. He meets the Sarge. Sarge asks him about Delaney. He learns nothing. The film's just wasting our time at this point. This scene uh, yeah. didn't need to happen. Yeah. So, Kathy visits a newspaper office. Does her best Lois Lane wearing Clark Kent's glasses. Yeah. Impression. Uh, uh, searches through the... Um, the b- b- what's the word? I, microfiche. Yeah, I called it microfiche originally, but I remember microfiche being a sheet that you kind of look around in. I think this is genuine microfilm. Oh, right. But I might be wrong. There is a specific name for the um, kind of machines, and right. I don't know what it is. Hurrah! Um, yeah, she learns how to use that from a bloke who was in The Thing and Manhunter. And just to just to look up uh, the Stuff about reports the on the DeFeo murders. Yeah. And this has got to have confused someone sometime in the history of the thing. Yes. Because she finds a pic. Yes, she finds a picture of DeFeo. It says, the voices made me do it, underneath. And it's just a photo of uh, Brolin. Brolin. And not only that, she's not like, God, he looks so much like George. It's like, oh, George? Yeah. <laughs> and so like- there must be people who have gone, okay, so is it, it's him then. He killed his family. Yeah. Like, is he escaped? Is he back? That- it's actually the same man. Like, not just the the, the the apparent similarity between the two. Oh, never mind. Right, let's fucking wrap this up. Storm <laughs> whips up. Kathy races home. Amy draws on the walls. George does all manner of yard work. No idea. He's hammering, na- yeah, he's wi- hammering nails windows in- shut? I don't know. Digging in the garden? Yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe he was going to be like kind of digging their graves or something, but he's just digging and we don't see what. Like, I, 
absolutely can only think that it's a reason to get him out of the place skulking about with an axe so Kathy can see him from the window and yeah. be and worried. He goes to the boathouse to do something. He's going to kill he's... that vagrant who's living in there. <laughs> in the... He goes to the whole boathouse in Hoboken. Um... Nice. <laughs> uh, tell, um... you what, is, tell you what, this would be a handy thing for the sergeant to be around, wouldn't it? <laughs> Looking after the place. Yeah. Be useful. Yeah, if only he'd been like doing his fucking interminable stakeout at that point. Um... Absolute madness. Yeah, he goes. He takes his axe into the boathouse, and for some reason, yeah. and the dog's the only one who sees anything happening because he's barking at the red room when the floor goes. Pfft, yeah, just explodes up. It's like another kind of suddenly naff <laughs> thing that just felt like it was from a different film. Yeah, it so felt like... a bit. Oh, I don't know. Well, everything's got to ramp up at the end. Uh, yeah. And what... um, I think it's what is a film that happens afterwards. Poltergeist does this. Where it all goes, yeah, the house goes crazy. Oh yeah. Also, Native American buried around. Yeah. Sure, of course. God. God, those Native Americans are useful when you're trying to find a justification for your horror film. Aren't they? Those dead fucking people you killed. Um, so anyway, I know you know. I know some of them died naturally. <laughs> but still, I'm going to have a great American audience yeah. listen to this. Fantastic. So I like, want to say Kathy's in the house, she's looking for the kids, she's all skulking about with the axe. Didn't Jane just milk that? Uh, but George sees um Jody the Pink Floyd pig. Yeah, yeah through the uh, upstairs window. And when I was watching this, I had to rewind and watch a few times because I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. Um, are, are you going to say on the podcast the thing you thought it was, or are you going to leave? Yeah, that it for genuinely us? looked like a reindeer wearing some kind of bouffant wig. That's fantastic. And draw that know, with like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, with the glowing eyes and stuff. But like, as soon as you said pig, I could just ah, oh, it just mm. kind of like rearranged and the perspective changed. I'm like, yes, yeah, and it, it was, it's a weird, um, it's weirdly composited in as well mm. and I have no idea if that's because they couldn't get a big pig thing into the room and light <laughs> it well or if the whole part of the superstructure of the house that involves the hat also involves like end walls mm. so that they aren't necessarily real windows into the house I couldn't tell you but that's um, yeah. what I think in um, I think the pig should be no, that's not another Pink Floyd joke. It's kind of, one of these days I'll cut you into little pieces. God, it's not the pig that says that. It's Nick Mason. Nick Mason, not the guy from uh, the Weekly Planet and Mr. Sunday Movies. Nick Mason, the drummer from Pink Floyd. That, uh, in case you were confused. I so, am, no. <laughs> George is in the house. He goes looking for Amy. Is it because of concern or murder? Mm, or see. murder, sir. Murder, sir. The walls in the 53rd precinct were bleeding. Uh, sorry. <laughs> is it 53rd? Doesn't matter. It's Ghostbusters. The walls start bleeding. Uh, but also the stairs start bleeding. Oh, which, that's on the way out, but yeah. Uh, well, no, it starts, I think, once oh, they've gone off. Nice. Um... The bleeding stairs. Uh, which is just a fun effect. Um, it's only a, a year before the movie version of The Shining. But um, yeah. he does get ahead of the yeah. uh, curve there, axing a door open to the bathroom that all kids are hiding in. I, I had to mention, I forgot to mention earlier, by the way, that on the second floor, two bedrooms are joined by an adjoining bathroom. 
You want to share a bathroom with like, every time you went in there, you'd have to remember to lock, lock both doors. doors. Or at least lock the other person's door and hope no one came into your room there. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, and this is where another thing from the book comes where Kathy's all of a sudden got a kind of weird gravy face. She's all ring uh, she's oh, all grey yeah. and she's all wrinkled in the face. Is that is that that one shot? Yes. Um, there's a bit in the book where George says he looked at Kathy and she had like a horrible wrinkled hag face oh. for no reason. I think again it's just I think just buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's what they do in this movie and they don't but it's just oh okay she's just looking weird for a second and mm. then it's fine. But then he gives her a hug and says, like, you know, I, I, I was just, you know. Yeah, I was just, I was all, I like to bury an axe in your head, but. I would say presumably he was, he saw Jodie and he was like, oh shit, I'm going to kill that big fucking pig thing. He was, I guess he was hunting Jodie through the house, is yeah. the idea. But yeah, he throws it away. And he say, I've never hurt you, apart from that scene where he punched her right in the fucking face. Yeah, and made her nose bleed. Mm. Yep. Um. I remember when I was writing this huge synopsis and I said to Rachel, there's a point where I'm just going to be able to write, it goes mental. <laughs> I've reached that point. It goes mental. Walls mm. bleed. Red room floor explodes. Lightning, as well, lightning and tree blasts out one of the eye windows, but only from inside. <laughs> Although I did think about that. This particular house has eye windows at both ends. Mm. So if it isn't broken outside, it might be the other end. But I haven't paid close enough attention film to see if where she looks out of that window that's where you see the boathouse or not um i think it's just a continuity error because obviously they couldn't do that with those windows up there because they ain't there they <coughs> they go to the fly room door and they think <laughs> oh my god it's the virgin mary oh and then it's it's just a bunch of bad mis like misdirects. Yeah. We can't open the door. Yes, we can. Yeah, we can. We don't have the key. Oh no, we got them. It's, got it's the keys to the thing. Just it's sort of a series of delays rather than obstacles. Yes. Yeah. Um, but of course, I at this point was like super unhappy with them when they started driving away, and I was like, "You downstairs. left your dog behind, you fucking monsters." Um, but then uh, George heard me. <laughs> he did. He <laughs> or, gets well, one of the kids. Well, he's like, what about I want Harry? Yeah. He's like, no, no, we've got to, we've got to get out of here. Uh, and yes, he does affect a dog rescue. In doing so, he leaves the entire he family. Does endanger his family. Parked diagonally in the middle of the road in a dark vehicle at night in heavy rain, <laughs> and just leaves them there. And he goes back to the house. So I don't know. Is he a hero? <laughs> Depends how much you like kids and Marco Kidder, I suppose. <laughs> Oh, I like Margot Kidder. <laughs> That's good. Dot, dot, dot. I see. Oh, like, you I don't, don't like kids. kids. <laughs> yes, but I assume you don't want them to die horribly uh, in, in no. an entirely avoidable RTA. No. Right. Oh, I God. also really like dogs. That's true. <laughs> well, um, it's going to happen because the basement stairs, they finally give out and it just drops George straight into the gunge tank. Yes. Into the red room. Is this the well? The I well, the passage to hell, cover it? I guess. Because it so. uncovers it. Or is that just fucking nonsense? It's possibly. And it's like, why Why is there a well? How is that connected to Ketchum and um, the Shinnecock? Yeah. Uh, or is it just. And... Is it just billions of dollars of crude oil that you could have sold and become immensely rich? 
like Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> it could have been the, the huge solution to your problems. Um, so yeah, it's all their money woes. All their money woes. So yeah, he, he so George is trying to escape from his goo. He's covered in goo, and Harry starts attacking him because it's just this horrible goo monster. <laughs> uh, but he realizes George and Harry flips that dog rescue on his head <laughs> and it becomes a dog rescue <laughs> he just pulls him out of the goo uh, uh, I get it yeah. an Amityville Hill dog rescue you he d- does <laughs> they get out of the bathroom and then yeah this is where we finally get the gun door slam and they can't get out and come on house it's either get out or don't get out yeah Luckily, House didn't consider that windows might also be used <laughs> as a means of egress. Because <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's a movie through and through. Like, oh, well, <laughs> we just solve this problem instantly. Yeah. Do they escape? Yes, film ends. That's it. It just ends very abruptly. Yep. He just George. runs out with the dog, puts George. the dog in the car, and then we just get that... Uh... Uh, tech stop. Says George and Catherine, Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaimed their house or their personal belongings. Today they live in another state. I, I mean, today a couple of them don't live. Yes. But um, at the time, I think that was accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I mean, it. They, they certainly the they didn't go back to the house. Like They kind of got like intermediaries or something. But... Yes. Oh, well, and then later on, yeah, that's why the yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren mm. go there in January... Oh, no, I think it's February by then. Um, we can talk about that when we uh, look at one scene from The Conjuring 2. Yeah! <laughs> I don't know quite where that... I, actually, I do suspect I mm. know where we're going to be doing that. We're not. I don't think we're going to do the whole of The Conjuring 2. That would be silly. Yeah. But um, and that's it. The, the, uh, relevant yeah. bit. they have the end credits. And then the amazing... Uh, <laughs> the amazing disclaimer. This motion picture is based on the book The Amityville Horror... Certain characters and events have been changed to heightened dramatic effect. Which, I mean, it's honest. Mm. It's it's no... You, you can't say, you know, resemblance to persons living or dead, but you can't yeah, say... It's sort of, they do say based on the true story. It's such a thing, because at least it is a true story. story. Yeah. People claim that it might that not it be true happened. events. Yes. Um... Yeah, I think you can sort of get away with it semantically like that. So that's it. I, I did originally think on the podcast we would turn it and then we would sort of mull over the film. But also, we've run long. I think yeah. we should probably curtail it relatively soon after this. People know how we felt about it. Uh, I don't hate it, uh, but there's a lot of weirdly amateurish choices. Yeah, it's like I. I think overall, I'd like it. I maybe wouldn't rate it higher than like a, a six or a, a seven, maybe. Apparently, an earlier conception of it was as a TV movie, and I can I can see the idea of doing a the the story of the Amateur Horror as a, a smaller mm. TV movie, and I can also see the idea of doing it as like two ninety-minute ones, like one after another, to total up three hours. Yeah. And I think is there a possibility they had a three-hour script? And pulled it down to this. I don't know. Mm. I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, and it would ex- it would explain a lot. Oh, someone yeah. just went. People are not going to sit in a movie theater for more than two hours, so they cut it down as much as possible yeah. to one hour fifty eight, <laughs> which is how long it is. Yeah, and it's, it's it is odd because it does feel like it's been 
edited down because of so many bits that feel like we were only given half of the information or the dialogue. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't make a big thing of it, but yeah, there was like a scene with uh, the Sarge talking to uh, Bolan, and it, it feels like half, like he should have said more yeah. of the sentence he said at one point. So it's it's an odd one. I mean, overall, I like it, but I mean, I don't know if I could say it's a very good film. No, um, I it's, it's a, not my fa- it's not my favorite Amadeville. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know which one is. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing one of the things I'll find out about this is which one that is. Yes. I suspect it might be Amityville 2 upcoming, which is weird because it's grimy and horrible <laughs> as well. But maybe I want that. Mm. Rather than the sort of slightly nice, oddly cosy version of this, despite all the goo and the bloody stairs. Yeah. Walking down the bloody stairs. You're right, though, you're right that is a good gradual escape. I haven't seen that done enough in things. Yeah, I mean just other sort of stairs you think like the marshmallow ones from um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, going up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. But just, yeah, that one because you think it would just be slippery and... uh, If you haven't seen the film, not literally marshmallow stairs, but yeah, stairs someone's feet disappear into. Yeah. Well, it just it looks like melted marshmallow inside. Yeah. uh, Inside the step. Nice. (laughs) Someone's making really big s'mores. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trying to make a bad pun? Can't. I'll leave it. That's what um, uh, uh, Freddy's uh, finger knives are for. He just skewers marshmallows <laughs> on them. He just four at once. <laughs> Told you. Come, no, send them mine. <laughs> um, so I think that's it. I think that's we're us done for the first episode. Yeah. I, it, I'm going to edit it down a bit. But... <laughs> It's still going to be bad, <laughs> but like we're just starting out. I've mm. you know I've podcasted before, but not in this format. Yeah, I've, I mean I've well, I just like guested on one episode of your old Doctor Who one. That's um, true, and that's it. So, so um yeah, join us at a point in the future uh, for Material Two: The Possession. Dun, dun, dun. Now I know you had an idea of what the thing is because we have a thing where we know. The film, the upcoming films. But what do you remember of Amateur Two? Because we, we have a thing where we were going to try and guess what they would be about, uh, but we can't yeah. do that on these because we know them. But do you remember much? Um, no, the thing is, I've, I, I just a lot of them. The titles don't really relate to what happens in them. So no. there's a lot of kind of. I mean, there is a and, possession. In yeah, this. but there's 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 things like. Uh, you'll be talking about one of them and then you have to say no the the haunted lamp one yeah uh, <laughs> it does come it does come easier in the yeah. uh, cursed objects area of yeah. things um but how did you feel to the possession um am i right in thinking there was one of them that had some like weird incesty overtones yes is it this one yes ah. i was going to ask if you remembered insects and then <laughs> if you remembered incest <laughs> Because it does feature both oh, of those. Right. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be so gleeful about incest. Sorry. I should be gleeful about insects. They're delightful. Yes, they are. Uh, I mean, on a sort of intellectual level, I don't really like interacting with them much. <laughs> um, I really feel we have. <laughs> it's weird. It's because I don't want to end and send you home, but uh, we probably have to do that. Yeah, I should go get a train. Alright, so we'll do that. Join us again, but until such a time as you do... 